Hey, very good morning, good evening, good afternoon,、uh, wherever you may be. My name is Sean. I'm Alex. And this is Sven. And you are listening to the final episode of season two Coaster Kings Radio, the grand finale.、Um, today we're going to be presenting our Crystal Crown Awards, which are an in house award ceremony that we created for you, our listeners and our readers. As、mm-hmm. well as a look back at 2020, the most miserable year on Earth's past. <laughs> well, maybe not really, but for, <laughs> for the coaster enthusiasts, anyway. Of the recent centuries, maybe. Of the yeah. Rec- yeah. <laughs>、mm. And then we're going to look forward to what's hopefully going to be a better year, 2021. 2021 couldn't possibly be worse, could it? Like, well, they all said that about other years, and then、yeah. 2020 happened.、So. There can be two、uh, new viruses.、Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's already one in India, apparently, that's been like killing everyone left and right. So. No, anyway, but we're going to be positive. It's so, fine. Humanity no, had a good time. It will be、run. fine. Asteroid hit us now.、Mm-hmm. Okay.、Um, so, yeah, we'll just start with 2020. We'll dive right in.、Mm-hmm. Sven, what w a s your absolute favorite or two favorite moments of 2020? Yeah, so、um, I have indeed like two moments that really stood out for me. Um, the first one was、uh, even though Orlando got cancelled, I still got to stay at a、uh, resort somewhere in Europe, and that was Park Asterix. And、uh, I really think that the new hotel,、uh, La Quai de Lutece, was a gem. And just like after three months of being trapped in the home, And then being able to go to this new themed environment and the atmosphere, and, and just sitting there in the bar,、uh, outs- well, actually outside the bar,、uh, with a cocktail, like living the resort theme park life. That's what I really missed after all that time. So、uh, mm-hmm. it was just such a joy to have that moment. Uh, I love that because it sounds so simple when like, you think pre 2020, you're like, oh, having、mm-hmm. a cocktail at a hotel. But like, for real, like, stuff like、mm-hmm. that in 2020, I really thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> after lockdown. Yeah. And of course, it was a new hotel, so that gave it the extra touch. But maybe if it was another hotel, I would have had kind of a similar experience just because it was、um, after the confinement. Uh, well, still depending on the hotel, maybe, but <laughs> is that a bad word? Sorry. After the <laughs> imprisonment in my house. <laughs> <laughs> After the captivity. Yeah, so、um, I think that was definitely one. So、uh, I would say, was it the first? It wasn't the first theme park experience、uh, of my year, obviously, but it was like the first、uh, after the first wave. And then. I guess the last or near to last、um, before the second wave was、uh, Rook Burke and Fly and Fantasyland. Like, I've talked already a few times about it, but that was just the one thing I still wanted to do in 2020, and I was very glad I was able to do so. So, after that, I, I really said, okay, now I'm good for a few months because I know it will be bad. And so,、mm-hmm. once spring is there, we'll have some. New rides for next year and new theme park visits again. So, you had good timing too with Fly because it just opened and then you were able to swing a visit. And then, shortly after, you know, travel restrictions got locked in、mm-hmm. again. And before you knew it, <coughs> they announced their closure again.、Mm-hmm. So, I'm glad you got to go on that. That was、mm-hmm. definitely like the 2020 bucket list, I think, even、mm-hmm. for us, even though obviously we didn't get to go.、Mm-hmm. And then, for us, I think, well, 
our year started off pretty promising. We were like super hyped. 2020 was going to be like 2019 2.0. And then it ended up being like not at all 20, 2019 2.0. But we started with our trip to Disneyland Paris, which is really Yay. cute. Yeah, end of February. Yeah, it became pass holders because we were full of optimism full about of going Disneyland there several Paris times this wonder. year. <laughs> and so uh, we rode Hyperspace Mountain, which obviously is like one of my favorite coasters. So that was really fun. And then we went to Texas to go ride Texas Stingray, which is a phenomenal new GCI wooden coaster that not enough people I think talk that's about. the best GCI in the country. Yeah, time was obviously really unlucky because it opened, and two weeks later, all the parks closed down. So I don't think it caught quite the media attention that it deserved, or just the enthusiast attention it deserved. But if you do get a chance to go out there um, to our American listeners, definitely don't, don't skip a ride on Texas Stingray if you're mm-hmm. in the area. Um, and then what else did we do? We, this summer we went... The, um, when we got married and then went to Nashville to Soundwaves. Before that. park experience. That oh, was, yeah, true. That was... But it was the same trip we highlights. did Candemonium, which I guess yeah. our listeners are probably more interested yeah. in. I mean, I love a good indoor water park. I mean, that's Coaster King's territory. Slide Kings. <laughs> yeah. Water Slide Kings. Getting getting toasted at a beautiful European-style indoor water park resort and riding all the water slides. definitely swanky for American standards. Yeah. Swanky. Okay. Is that a word that we yeah. use? Yeah. Yeah. Fancy. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was also the same trip. We rode Candemonium, so that was pretty good. I like Candemonium a lot. I think it's better than Mako. They look really similar, but I don't know if it's just like Floridian jadedness or what, but like all of our friends... All of our friends um, prefer Candemonium to Mako, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think that Mako has that mid-course vibe-killing break run that, like, after the mid-course, the ride's kind of over. Like, it just, it doesn't do a whole lot. It has a clear, like, a clear, like a maintenance road, and then it has that swoopy finale over the water that really looks way cooler off-ride than it is on-ride. Yeah, and it it's just where doesn't travel Candemonium fast just, enough. just, you know, goes all the way out and then comes back, and it doesn't really stop till the final break. It's like, yeah, Candemonium does have trims mid the, mid-ride, but it's Two of them, still yeah. not as much of a buzzkill as the mid-course on Mako. And Mako has a trim in the middle of the ride before the, the mid-course break run, too, so it's like, I really didn't feel like... Some people are like, oh, Candemonium's trim city and Mako is perfect, and I'm like, they're both pretty bad when it comes to trimming the ride but candemonium i found less bothersome yeah and i do think <laughs> that it's a perfect addition to hershey park given that sky rush will completely beat you up like i'm pretty sure most people can't handle sky rush and that's exactly why they just a few years later built another hyper coaster mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. next to it like literally next to it these rides touch yeah. support structures because it's just not a family friendly ride sky rush so you get yeah. beat up and it was a reconfirmation riding it again we wrote it a lot but God, I'm still bruised from riding it. It is, it is intense. It is violent. He made me ride it like seven times. Yeah, it is the best ride there. <laughs> so. um, and then what else did we do? We wrote Orion, which I guess was um, the last Giga. We really, Orion we was important because we just needed to talk about it. Like we wanted to be part of the Giga Coaster conversation. And now this was like a necessary piece of that puzzle. Also, we didn't really have access to regional parks this year because Carowinds was closed. So, like, the closest seat of And we parks, didn't go to Six Flags Over Georgia because Mindbender is being remodeled. Six Flags Over mm-hmm. Georgia. But, yeah. Um, so, Orion was fun. I, I don't think it deserves all the hate it gets. I mean, it's not the best gig coaster. Like, not even in the top yeah. five. <laughs> but I still think it was, it, was, it was a fun ride. Yeah, I think I would take it, like... I guess if we ranked all the gig coasters... We did. 
Did we? Yeah. I remember I that. Forgot what we ranked it. Though. I feel like my <laughs> I remember that. Already changed. But I feel like we've already. Orion was better on our first visit because we went to Kings Island twice, one month apart. We went uh, like at the beginning of July, and then again at the beginning uh, yeah, of no August. late July and late August. Late July, late August. I think that's what it was, yeah. And after a month, like we already noticed, like a drop in the performance of oh yeah yeah so we went we made we ranked the giga coasters after i, I would probably change it but the how we ranked first. it was like we ranked leviathan six millennium force five, five orion, orion four, four intimidated three or five three fury 225 two and then um, still dragon 2000 as one but i think i would move orion i would think i would move leviathan up to number four, four. Move orion to five and millennium to six I don't know. There's a part of me that because I think Levi. Now I think about it. There's a part of me that I like prefer Millennium Force over Orion because there's nostalgia there, and Orion has no nostalgia. Okay, well, well, Leviathan, um, like the drop is really, really good, but then afterwards you're kind of expecting something to happen and it doesn't happen. Like, That's exactly like how it, it has a it it has a good layout. Well, it it has good elements and then, but it's it's yeah it's it's it feels un- unsubstantial. Mm-hmm. I would say that even though Millennium Forest is not very intense, at least it's substantial in the sense that the ride duration and length is more satisfying than and Leviathan or Orion. Even though all of them have that elevated brake run. Leviathan feels the most out of place because yeah. you really travel so much. You're just like on the brake mm. run and you're on that slope forever. Yeah. And Leviathan mm. is really like out just on the brakes forever. Mm-hmm. As where at least Orion's is a little mm. shorter. Plus um, for me, it's also, I, I still don't get my parks like do that. Like you the have giant a giant elevated uh, brake run. No, you have a hyper. Any... Why do you add a giga? Oh, uh, well, most personally parks, for well, me, that's weird. For most parks, it's like you add your Giga after you have your Hyper, and you've marketed it for 10 years. I guess it's just... Canada's Wonderlands and Carowind's um, case, you market your Hyper Coaster for four or five years and then build a Giga right next to it. (laughs) But, like, money... uh, Cedar Point started that trend with, like, they built a, a Hyper Coaster in 1989, and then for the year 2000, they wanted... Another kind of different well, approach guess to the concept. Point that, like some are really close together because then you look at how quickly they build um, Leviathan. Like right, Leviathan after was they four build, years. Yeah, it wasn't. It was yeah, it 20, was, 2008 four was, years. Yeah, yeah, and so four mm-hmm. years later, and then like and Carowinds Carowinds was, was only five, five years later. Mm-hmm. So it's like I guess for European, it it's just weird because we're just glad if we like, get we a have, hyper or a giga. So. I think it was their way yeah. of saying that like these parks should have already gotten hyper coasters in the nineties. Like hmm. Valley Fair and Dorney Park and Worlds of Fun. Did. I guess the biggest redeeming quality for the Cedar Fair parks is that like the V seating hyper coasters, the really long trains, are such a different experience than like the short train giga yeah. coasters. So like they feel like completely different. But they definitely feel like different similar. experiences. It's but not... I also think that's why the layouts are like so not airtime centric on yeah. the gigas. Because I understand. They have hyper coasters. I understand from an enthusiast point of view, but not from a GP point of view. Like oh, the GP I think, it up. Thing. yeah, the GP but I think most it. people will be like, okay, it's the same but bigger. The only the only park where people say that is Kings Island. People okay. never said that about Fury or Leviathan. They say it about Orion, because Orion is the shortest Giga, and Diamondback is mm-hmm. the tallest of the three. Uh, the gap is paramount. much smaller. So like, like it's only a fifty foot difference in height. Yeah, between the two. <laughs> 
I, th- I will still find it weird. Yeah, so I can't uh, help it. We totally, though. with Orion, we agree with you. With Fury, and to a lesser extent with Leviathan, I feel like they have their own place. I think the best set is still Fury and Intimidator, because Intimidator. Intimidator is pretty much only Airtime Hills, and yeah. like, it's not super long mm. compared to like Leviathan that's really long and does all, yeah. does all the weird things. That really, yeah, so they Fury and Intimidator really and highlight tall, but quite different. exactly why you can have a Hypercoaster and a Giga, or, or Millennium Force and Magnum. Those yeah. are obviously polar opposites. Um, but at least there you have different um, different manufacturers. Yeah, it's true. And then there's King's Dominion that just hmm. skipped the hypercoaster altogether because <laughs> of Bush Gardens down the road with their multiple their three coasters with 200 foot. Yeah, I don't want to jump into 2021 yet, but I do want to say that I find it awfully strange that like King's Dominion is getting a 40 free spin while like Bush Gardens is opening like it's super tall. Hyper style. It's only because King's Dominion is replacing a flat ride with their 4D yeah, free spin. That's true. I hope they still mm-hmm. get their wing. It's basically though, checking a flat ride box, mm-hmm. but it's a coaster. So I kind of I love that. Mm-hmm. But Not so that. all in all, did you? All in all, so your theme park here wasn't that bad, actually. It could have been worse. It was better than most. Yeah. It was just a bit domestic traveling and doing. It was very parks that domestic. We, uh, we, it was a lot of Orlando Park appreciation. Well, I that was the nice thing. I think I'm, we really fell in love with the Universal Orlando Resort this year. And I don't mind giving our readers and listeners a bit of insight, but especially the Orlando market as like a theme park blog is really, really hard. It's just incredibly hard to stand out against the million other people blogging about, you know, Universal and Disney stuff. But with COVID nineteen, a lot of those bloggers weren't quite as active. There was a lot of, you know, international tension that was focused on these parks were more of, like, sharing other people's posts and stuff. So, like, this was really the first time we got to shine in this market with our Tron updates and Philosophers updates. And so, actually, I really enjoyed being very domestic and being, like, update-focused because we hadn't really done that for Orlando. There really wasn't much of a need because, like, there's so many other really Mm -hmm. great content creators around here that, you know, we all know personally. So I never really felt like I wanted to compete for that little share, I would rather write unique stuff. And even though we didn't really have much of unique trips to go on this year, luckily we were we had the chance to kind of scope mm-hmm. out some of the Orlando blogging thing, and that really worked out. So that was actually like a really nice mm-hmm. benefit of this year. For me, it was ranking which parks had good measures and which ones had less. <laughs> it was like okay this is good here but that is better there so yeah this would be the perfect failed. thing so if you take the mask uh policy there and the queuing there <laughs> that's fair i think we still do that like mm. you know even within florida just having like the SeaWorld parks taking such a different approach for, mm-hmm. for better for worse <laughs> um from like universal <laughs> and that's a nice way Disney, of saying it <laughs> um it is it is funny seeing how much these parks think they compete, but then also do, like, completely opposite things. Like, Universal not requiring reservations and hitting capacity every <laughs> single weekend. And then Disney do take reservations. Even the pass holders were starting to say, like, you guys need to set up a reservation system. Because <laughs> it... But I get Universal, because I bet Disney, like, sells out reservations, and half the people don't show up or show up And then up their parks the are not... Universal's like, well, if you want to come, you have to be yeah. there before the parks reach capacity. Yeah. So people are there early, it's spend money all day, is and a, they have a guaranteed filled gate. A self-governing thing. But yeah, there's, mm-hmm. pos- there's positives and negatives to both with systems. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the biggest thing that we're doing this year, I think, for the website, is uh, the Crystal Crown Awards. It is a first time for us that we do, like, an award sort of thing. 
Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people do like crowd based pulling and yeah. thing in pieces, like the awesome vote coasters from Coasterbot that mm-hmm. we had a podcast with. Go check yes. it out. Um, this is actually something that's more internal. We have a team of about yeah. 12 to 15 people that do Coaster Kings with us. And even though not everyone's had the same experiences, you know, talking to each other, which we do all day long in our group chats, mm-hmm. really helps the kind of creating a bit of chat. like, you know, conversation pieces that never have been translated into awards before. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do is kind of consider ourselves as like an academy. Yeah, right? and we like are the academy, the Coaster Kings Academy. The Crystal Crown Academy. <laughs> yeah. And so... We wanted to take some of the discussion points you've had that I've never really mm-hmm. seen the day, of, the, no, the light of day when it comes to awards. Rankings and awards. And, and highlight, highlight those. Things. So we're not just another, like, ranking the coasters thing, because, you know, first of all, we do it all the time. Yeah. Second of all, a lot of <laughs> yeah, Everyone knows do that. what we think is the best wood coaster, the best you know, steel coaster, Everyone knows we don't park. like steel benches as much as everyone like else. So, like, we, don't, we didn't want to do that again. So we have 16... Unique categories. categories. Some are a little more usual than others. Some yeah. of these we've touched on in articles. Some of these we've not. And some, some are these just like mm-hmm. really good suggestions by team members that we had actual conversations about. Yeah. Yeah. So, plus, they, we have a pretty diver- diverse group. Like, very. Some people are very fond of a certain type of coasters, while others are more leaning towards the general. So it's good that we have a mixture of, of all kinds of opinions that led mm-hmm. to these. Uh, decisions. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun, kind of like discussing all of the categories with each other and, and some like stuff, seeing the like, new points of view. From thinking about a park with like a great characteristic or a great quality that deserves to be highlighted, and like working our way back from it, and being like, you know, this park has the best. Well, yeah, it kind of comes blah, down to like being really like, that's having, something that nobody's having, like, talked a great about experience, before. and yeah. then being like, well, what category? Like, there's yeah. not really a category for it, and then kind of being mm-hmm. like, well. What if we look at more rides or experiences like that yeah, and is create this, a category yeah, for yeah. it and then pick our favorite? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So without further ado, we're going to get started. We're going to just run through the 16, almost like an award show, except we're not really mm-hmm. good at award presenting. So we're going to just do it the best of our abilities. No, we, we'll, yeah. we, we, we may talk about some other nominees, but we're really focusing on, on the, winners. the winners, the um, answers that were obvious to us. And we'll so, ease into it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Sven. No, I was just going to announce... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome <laughs> to the Crystal Crown Awards! Yay! Clapping! Yay. This is so wonderful. Applauso. And, and here very... are your hosts for tonight, Sean and Alex! And Sven. Boop, boop. And Sven. And, Sven. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Sven. And this is Sven. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highlight of my day when we listen to podcasts. Back and your announcement. <laughs> I know, Sven, Sven brings the calmness that we all need. Sven is the... <laughs> Zen factor. <laughs> Zen with a Z. Zen popular. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I just so, crawl into the conversation yeah. and like, this yeah. is my opinion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I and love Sven. that. Sometimes we like overcrowd Sven. Sven talking. keeps us from flying too close to the sun. Yeah. We, 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 this podcast would be, would be dead by now. But we're just Sven, so shout out. This podcast really wouldn't exist without Sven. It's so true. It's Aww. nice having a professional recording artist. So. <laughs> and neither. And there neither you go again. No. Some, oh, sorry. I was going to make this a really smooth transition and talk about how, like, some of the most loved theme park attractions nowadays wouldn't exist without, like, leading other attractions <laughs> like <laughs> Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, Beautiful. which was nominated and won the <laughs> Best Q Award best from Q. Crystal Crown yes. Awards show. God, this is messy. Best overall, best Q experience. Best, best Q experience. Q. And this is funny because we had an argument about this earlier this year. Um, a lot of there's a lot of cool cues out there, and obviously living in mm-hmm. Orlando, it's like Q City over here. So 
we were like, well, what is really the best cue? And Standards we settled high. on Harry Potter and Finn Journey because its age is important. Like, it opened in 2010, and back then, cues really weren't quite as important to the experience besides looking nice. But the Harry Potter and Finn Journey tells a story that continues on the ride itself. It's and in order to experience that ride, you have to have experienced the cue. Everyone wants to walk to Hogwarts. It's, it's obviously the only cue dream. I can think of where, like, mm-hmm. it qualifies as its own attraction, and people will walk through the queue mm-hmm. on principle, even if they don't want to ride. And I mean, go if you think exit. about it, even University of Hollywood did that when they opened. They had two options. You could either ride or do the castle yeah. tour. And you would mm-hmm. literally get a pass and walk through the castle instead it's, of it's, riding. I would consider it, like, required reading for a trip to Universal. Even if you don't mm-hmm. ride rides, if you don't like rides, you have to walk through Hogwarts Castle because mm-hmm. that's my favorite part of the whole experience. Like, I like the ride, but I like the queue even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like so, it as a whole, but I think Disney also had already some cues that of course it it was a lot about theming but i think some of them also were were highlighting uh, a build-up to the story but universal they just kicked the ball out of the park with Mm -hmm. adding that whole experience forbidden journey was like such like so over the top compared to like what was previously considered like a themed queue experience that like even even Rise of the Resistance and the whole, like, queue and then the transport thing and then you're transported somewhere else and then you re-enter the queue into another thing. Like, I still prefer Forbidden Journey. And we also talked a lot recently about Flight of Passage. um, Yeah, Flight of Passage is my other favorite queue. It's a really beautiful queue. And though it tells a bit of a story, of course, like, you know, like... It's not quite as integral. It doesn't quite, like, specify the story. You still get to the end, and you have all the pre-shows, and the pre-shows are, like, too much, and it ruins the whole experience. And there's just an edge (laughs) into, like, telling the story on Forbidden Journey that really goes into detail because of all the intricate pre-show, you know, well, Q stories versus just having a regular pre-show where they have to spoon-feed you and hold your hand and just be, like, (laughs) explain it to you from from start to finish. There's always so much that they could finesse in the queue itself that explains why you're there and what the ride is, whereas Forbidden Journey makes it seem effortless. And though the ride itself is obviously phenomenal, I think there's a reason that we're seeing this cloned again for the fourth time this year or mm-hmm. next year in, in Beijing. Beijing. It's just because it is just simply such a complete package. Like opening that, even if the source material isn't widely spread in the region, you're opening yeah. the ride, it is a guaranteed. You know, it, it is just one of those things where, like, the whole experience combined, the dark ride's great, the queue's great, but like, they don't, together, have, to change, they don't have to change anything about the queue for it to be mm-hmm. perfect and ready and he, to dominate. Yeah. And, like, the, the ride itself, even though it's 10 years old, it's still very relevant and still modern. And, and yeah. You know, we so write it a lot, and I always mention that even though Disney really pushes the words like groundbreaking or like most ambitious ride ever for Star Wars Rise of Resistance. I still think that like compared to the age we live in, mm-hmm. Turkless Dark Rides have been around for 10 years. Yeah. For 20 years. 20 years. But when Forbidden Journey opened at Universal Studios or Universal Land Resort in 2010, it was the first of its kind. That was still a and more it still seismic feels so impact. revolutionary being able to move through all those scenes in the air. I don't know. I still am really part. Like you could argue ride. that Rise is better than Forbidden Journey, but you can't argue that Rise was more impactful in 2020 or 2019 than mm-hmm. Journey was in 2010. Yep, that's exactly mm-hmm. what the C is. Because there's a 10 year difference between the technology in these rides, and yet Forbidden Journey is, I would say, equally as impressive, if not more so, <laughs> just because the arms are the 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 ride system is so 
mind-blowing hmm. in a way. And we don't have a best dark art category, but it would definitely nominate yeah. if it were. Um, so let's move on to the next category. Okay. Alex, what's the next Most award? revolutionary coaster. Um, they're talking through, like, our idea of, of revolutionary, impactful... Um, it, I think the important quality for for this is something not necessarily something that feels new and revolutionary right now in 2020, but something that's older, that has aged incredibly well and is still so so notable and talked about as if it was brand new or like still emerging technology. And that ride for us uh, is X2 at Six Flags Magic Mountain. Um, Alan Shilkey's true legacy, his real mad scientist moment <laughs> for me was developing the, the 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 only true 4D roller coaster system which is the SNS slash aerodynamics 4D coaster with the the two rail uh ratchet and pin in vehicle system for program spinning on a three dimensional plane. Um and this all kind of came down to looking back at attractions that are, I mean, literally almost 20 years old, X2. Mm-hmm. I mean, 20 years ago, X2 was under heavy construction. Yeah. And still feeling like it is... It's still the bread and butter Yeah, it's Magic like Magic Mountain's, like, extreme outstanding coaster. It's and still, even for the country, it's, it's still... It's still the country's most spectacular mm-hmm. roller coaster, I think. Like, and true, on a level later. of... It still brings people... To tears. To, like... <laughs> <laughs> there's, for me, there's two coasters where I was the first time riding... Terrified. The first one yeah. was Stuntfall at Park Warner Madrid. Like, yeah. I did not expect a giant inverted boomerang to freak me out that yeah, much. To feel like and that. then the second yeah. one was X2 where, mm-hmm. with you guys. Uh, I, I was like, I, I played Roller Coaster Tycoon and I saw that Speechless. ride and you were really? like, hmm, I imagine yeah. the day that's going to happen and that I'm going to be yeah. on there and it will be so... I don't know. And then yeah. I, remember, I remember my first ride. I was just I I couldn't believe. I wasn't even that scared because I was really excited. But then like when I got off the uh, off the you know the little pre drop, yeah, mm-hmm. I was terrified. Ter- yeah. I just started <laughs> flipping and I saw below first, me and I felt how free I was. Yeah. I was like, you never forget your first ride on X two. It feels so or Ijenica or Dinaconda. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing. I mean, having X two. Um, you could, you know, I mean, where we used to live, you could see it from our parking garage. That's how close we were to Magic Mountain. And no matter how many times we rode X2, it was still, it still felt eventful, like riding it. You never get used to like that first drop and being like pile driven face first into the ground mm-hmm. off of a 200 foot lift. Like it's, there's just nothing that feels like, I feel, I feel like that was the pinnacle of, of industry envelope pushing and you know we've we've seen a lot less of like peripherals and gimmicks as far as ride vehicles in the industry now i think i, think I like to believe that x2 paved the way for rides we don't necessarily connect to it yeah i think x2 paved the way for the zack span yeah and for the wing coasters the f- yeah for the wing coasters the free spins and, and stuff. the 40 free spin it's like these are all really great ideas the, except for they had to be simplified yeah, to the be motivation the success of the 40 free spin was born out of a motivation to build like a watered down x2 for every six flags park not because watered down also gets the pricing yeah you know watered I mean? down mm-hmm. there's a reason only three budgetary exists. They're really well, yeah. expensive to build, but also incredibly expensive to maintain. These because if you, if you think about just... it, to build to build Dinaconda, it costs as much, if not more, than like Fury three two five. Like these these rides cost in excess of thirty million dollars, and 
Mm-hmm. So see the fair next time you slap in your next hyper size giga. How yeah. about you slap in a 4D coaster? Yeah, how about, how about a, a because yeah, an SNS 4D if another SNS 4D coaster got built anywhere, it would be news. It would be so incredibly newsworthy. Yeah. Um, but there's also a problem with this ride is that it's too niche. So like, oh, there, yeah. there's a reason that Magic Mountain, which I would say has the biggest throw lineup in the world, and you know. Fuji Q Highland has the has biggest it. thrill lineup mm-hmm. in Japan, and then the Chinese love extreme rides because they're they live much more like a more recent boom of, of thrill rides. So obviously, yeah. Dinaconda. I mean, Dinaconda is almost ten park. years old, and I attribute Dinaconda to China's fascination with the B and M wing coaster, which they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. everywhere. So I I, mm-hmm. I I feel like the impact of of this style of riding, which is a concept that is as old as me. Uh, because if I'm not mistaken, Alan Shilke was like started that project like in the early '90s, and it just took years and years and years of tweaking and and concepts and stuff for it to finally see the light of day. Um, I just don't think anything even comes close to that in terms of 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 dedication and significance, and then the impact and and the satisfaction of like riding one of these 4D coasters, one of these true like programmed 4D spinners. So for me, mm-hmm. it was obvious. And I think everyone kind of agrees to that. Like Sven said, you know, of only two coasters he's written in the world. Yeah. Where like, and he's traveled quite a bit too. X2 was one of the only ones that really freaked him out. And it, that's kind of, it kind of goes to say like these rides really are that impactful. Even 20 years mm-hmm. after they've built, they've never, nothing crazier has been done since. And that's, I think, why X2 wins the most revolutionary coaster. Award. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the only coaster breed where every time all three first time i wrote it i came back with like tears <laughs> like streaming <laughs> in my face it's funny because we wrote them in the order they were built and yeah. they just kept getting crazy and each time they got more each time we each thought time we, we knew what we were expecting yeah, it's completely yeah we thought we were i thought i was mentally prepared for ijanika i was not and then we wrote dinaconda thinking we were prepared based on our rides on ijanika and we were not and all three times i came in like shaking where are you sitting comfortably though i would say the trains are comfortable oh yeah but are there they are the most comfortable trains that are more <laughs> comfortable. Yeah, the next category is the most comfortable rolling stock. We were into that together. I like Alex is dying. I'm just like, yeah. Um, <laughs> like are. for me, the, I think there are two things that are important. Um, first of all, lab bars have been a big plus in the recent years because it gives you, especially for airtime, uh, a lot more of the sensation. I think. And uh, next to that, I think freedom is also very important that you have, you don't, you don't have to sit front seat to still have a good uh, coaster experience in these type of trains and, um, and to have a bit of a freedom that you're not pushed into uh, in between other riders like the, the B&M trains can have. Mm-hmm. So we picked uh, Intamin New Generation Sit Down. Uh, coasters, so like Taron, like uh, Steel, um, Steel is Dolphin. it Steel Dolphin? Yeah, yeah. Steel Dolphin. Yeah, Taiga, Taiga, Ocean Park, Dwelling Taiga. Dragons, mm-hmm. and and Velocity Coaster, Velocity Coaster, yeah. and next year also the Wallaby yeah. Mega. Wallaby yes. Mega. It's yeah. all about the over-the-shoulder lap bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're getting to the Phenomenon. age where over-the-shoulder strains. <laughs> should no longer be a thing unless it's a flying coaster or like rides like a 40 free spin where you have yeah. to be held in place but if your yeah. whole point of a ride is like quick transitions and airtime <laughs> then you need to have something that's comfortable that gives you enough leg room so even your legs get some motion and biggest thing is like the left bar part 
And the great thing about these new trains is is that they're over the shoulder lap bars, meaning that the restraint doesn't have to come between your legs, yeah. giving you that freedom, like Sven mentioned, for your legs mm-hmm. and for your whole body to kind of feel free, while also giving that lap bar experience. And um, the most comfortable of the ones we've written, the most, I would say, consistent are definitely the intimate ones. Mm-hmm. I was toying with the idea of, like, maybe the Mac ones, but I feel like the Mac ones sometimes bounce a little bit yeah. because of the single piece that because, holds the yeah. seats up. Hmm. As for the intimate ones, I feel like when I ride more it, sturdy. I, I ride a lot more sturdy rolling stock. Um, mm-hmm. And I've never had a bad experience on any of those trains. Ever. On the Neo intimate ones, yeah. Because yeah. Hmm. They, had, they had to a bit of a way before they got to those kind of trains, you know? Like yeah. the, Skyrush was their first attempt they at definitely that went sort of thing. And they saw a lot of improvements since Skyrush. Well, and they had Maverick and stuff with the vests. Yeah. And then they moved to Skyrush, <laughs> which... You know, it was the side Yeah, they were the original over-the-shoulder lap bars from Intamin, and they put mm-hmm. a lot of pe- punishment on the upper legs. Um, and then when with some of the newer Intamin Blitz coasters, like the that, the big one in Turkey, I think I remember seeing pictures of the trains for that one, and they're like, oh, it's like Skyrush trains, but they're, like, improved. They're, like, they fixed the issue with the lap bars, and now, like, they keep you secure, but they don't try to... Cut your legs and off. And it's funny, they actually still sell the weird, like, wing seats, like we know on Skyrush and yeah. Flying Aces, but they sell them with the newest trains now. Yeah. So. Well, Flying Aces has the, <laughs> oh, has newer, the newer ones, there yeah. Isn't the there Soaring now. with Dragon also that has yeah. those yes. kinds of... Yep, Soaring with Dragon has the, has the same trains, mm-hmm. um, like Talon, really, the two, the two-seaters. The um, Taiga. Yeah, so... And then we have then we already have hypercoasters with them. So like the Nanchang Sunak Land, the green and orange hypercoaster has them. And of course the hypercoaster Wild well, Belgium's gonna get them. So these are very diverse trains. I feel like whether you want a crazy Doesn't, inverting uh, launch coaster or an airtime machine, these trains it's just like Hyperion, do, the, do right? the job. Isn't aren't those kind of like Skyrush's trains or like flying aces? Yeah, it might be. With over the shoulder um, lap bars are those different it's in not some this, way. Well it's a four seater. So yeah. maybe I that's imagine those why trains I... being pretty much the same as flying aces, but we haven't ridden either of those. Mm-hmm. But in any case, but yeah, so that trains. is definitely what. It's like I'm so Velocicoaster. We already know is going to be so lit because there's nothing more devastating than like a great coaster concept that's ruined by uncomfortable trains. Whether you know they're going to be mm-hmm. uncomfortable based on other rides, or mm-hmm. you sit in them the first time and you're like, oh, like this is not going to be And that's funny. a recent thing in the industry, because it used to be like the focus was always on the layout and the track, yeah. and, like getting the craziest ride layouts. And now we can kind of do it all and we push the limits, but like every every manufacturer pushed the limit at some point. I think now the point is becoming like, well, what will give the client the most reliable and comfortable uh, you know, rolling stock. So that's Vesta trains for mm-hmm. B&Ms. That is over-the-shoulder lap bars for Intamin and Mac. And it's, you know, all the new trains we're seeing on Vacoma. So I really I really like the switch where it was like any rolling stock will do was kind of like the previous mentality. And like, we just want to build the craziest ride. And now it's like, well, no, your rolling stock sells your ride. Yeah. And I judge like that because I don't even like, I don't like the new Premier trains very much. There's nothing like sitting on Steel even Vengeance the first cool. time. Sitting down for our first ride on Steel Vengeance and we pull the lap bars down and we're like, oh, I'm already not having a good time. Like, I already feel <laughs> like I'm too tall for this. Um, like these are not comfortable compared to the Six Flags. Yeah, and as a tall person, I like to pride Iron myself horses. on having good knowledge of what are good trains or not because more than not, I'm in pain on yeah. roller coasters, which mm-hmm. I still like riding them. But there's just you know, legroom really makes a difference, and these uh, these intimate trains have that comfort and legroom. And I, even though I'm really tall and I'm kind of chunky, I definitely have never really felt uncomfortable. I just appreciate when legroom isn't even a factor. I like know. yeah, when like it's like not why a should there's there's way too many rides where like 
whether or not the leg room is good is like a make or break detail when there's also lots of roller coasters out there that like you don't even have to think about it. Like all these mm-hmm. trains. Yeah, yeah. It's not even a matter of like because the the vehicles don't have like a front to them really. And then like speaking of. Rides where like legroom is not necessarily guaranteed, <laughs> but the trains are still really cool. Mm. We're gonna move to our next category, which is the best looking rolling stock best award. Looking rolling which stock. is awarded to Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain at the Disneyland Paris Resort. Which so I think, yeah, sorry, I think the three previous ones a lot of people will agree, but maybe here. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. You are a bit biased. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not necessarily biased because I would have maybe said Tron. But mm. Tron, though really clean, does have a lot of detail. And I was thinking, yeah. like, well, mm-hmm. coaster trains nowadays off, often look really cool. And, like, color schemes are getting perfected. Standards and, are high. You know, standards yeah. are high. Stuff but- announced for 2020 was, like, a game changer as far as number of parks that really seemed to care about how the trains looked. But then mm-hmm. I thought, well, what if I go and look, or what if we go and look at the train that presents the past, present, and future of, like, a ride? Tells a story, but also just, you know, it just works, and it's very mm-hmm. detailed. And those... Mm-hmm. Categories all kind of belong to Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain, where like it definitely touches the original theme. It has mm-hmm. a Jules Verne kind of feel to it, golden touches, very modern blue aesthetic, which works with the current yeah, Hyperspace Mountain overlay. And then it has all these little details on the trains. I can't believe on the, side. the seat backs on those. The yeah, rubber the seat, seat backs are like you know are, 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 are a faux, faux upholstery, leather. like bulleted upholstery. I feel like I'm riding some like super it's just fancy, rubber. like classic. It's, it's elegant. Like I elegant don't think train. a roller coaster rolling stock is being ornate, elegant, like like art and. You know, this and though they're not the most modern looking, though they are definitely modern trains. Yeah, they definitely kind of tell a story, and I feel like unless you're looking at something directly from a movie like Tron, mm-hmm. which it's really cool and tells a story and looks exactly what you want. That's another like, good point. Um, this one tells a story just by looking at a train. I can tell that it's like steampunky. I can tell that it's space. I can tell that like it works with hyperspace. When I see the name and I see the train, I put those two Tron together. Tron was all about emulating something that already existed, whereas the third round of rolling stock for Space Mountain in Paris was, like, t- doing something totally from scratch and making it yeah, look I think amazing. Yeah, and the original trains were definitely already one of the coolest-looking coast trains out there, and I think they continued that that dedication to the theming on the train, which is really rare. Like, that amount of detail and that amount of, like, past, present, future kind of, like, train respect is really rare, and mm-hmm. that's why we gave it to Hyperspace Mountain in Paris. Mm-hmm. They are yeah, the nicest-looking rolling stock. The original trains were also the first ones to have real onboard audio. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, they already were a bit revolutionary. And then you mentioned that they fit well with the hyperspace theme. I agree, but I do feel that the, the trains themselves are really connected to Space Mountain in Paris. Yeah. Because of the Columbiad, and so a lot of people were like, "Okay, this is it. We're finally getting back our from the Earth to the Moon experience yeah. with these trains." And it still hasn't happened, but either it will at it's, some point. It's foreshadowing very or, strong. Yeah, or I, it's or it's just dedication to like the past of the ride, which this is mm-hmm. one of the few rides that's such a cult following when it comes to the previous stories. I love stories that like you it. could look at yeah. those ride vehicles, and there's only one ride that would come to mind. Like, mm-hmm. well, doesn't the ride just tell a story? I look at the picture that Sven took and I, I included in our in our article on the website as well regarding the awards, and I just like it just screams only that ride and supercharger to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. You could not put those trains on any other ride and make it work, and I think that's important, you know. Like, especially if there were pictures of coaster trains from our factory, I'd be like, 
those are for Space Mountain Paris. <laughs> like, that's the only, that's the only mm-hmm. possibility. You couldn't put those on any other ride and make it And make I feel sense. like a lot of rides, uh, vehicles nowadays look really cool, and they're very minimalist, and they have really nice patterns and colors, but they're mostly just flat. Mm-hmm. That's where, like, the details on these trains, mm-hmm. they are 3D. They Even are- Tron is, like, is a feat of, of like, light choreography and timing and stuff, but the vehicles themselves are pretty straightforward. Very basic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's why our um, best-looking rolling stock for 2020 went to Star Wars Hyperspace Man. We'll see if any of the new 2021 coasters um, do it better, but as of right now, I really think yeah. that... There's that some contenders, but... ...to be in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that Jules Verne aesthetic, I think, is, is tough to top um, as far as train rolling stock go. What else is tough to top? <laughs> <laughs> I love your transitions, babe. They're it perfect. really cool with the 16 yes. transitions in a row. But, 16. You know. Smooth. They're not all going to be smooth. We've got some arrow transitions in this list. Just saying. <laughs> They're not all going to be smooth. We've got some headbangers, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the color scheme on the hyperspace mountain trains are pretty lit. So we're moving from a, a lit color scheme, lit color palette on a roller coaster rolling Party stock, babe. to a really lit color scheme on a roller coaster track. And um, I, I think... Color schemes and roller coasters, there's a lot that comes down to just taste. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever your favorite color is and your second favorite color and your third favorite, if you find those on a roller coaster somewhere, you're going to think, like, wow, these are mm-hmm. great colors. This is a great but color also palette. It comes down to, like, what is unique and what works. Something that really stands out and you find a dramatic variety, a dramatic pairing or triage of colors to make a really memorable color scheme I mean, some some companies. I mean, like Cedar Fair gets gets is member is remembered for their fascination with red and yellow as a color scheme because with the blue sky that you expect to have on most days at a theme park, you get the primary colors. Like, there's some science behind it as far as like mm-hmm. what parks choose for their colors. Sometimes you're telling a part of the story. Your color scheme has to reflect the theme. It has to reflect the area of your park. Um, and so it's in those ways. And sometimes, sometimes you're thinking, what is the cheapest paint? Because yeah, I need to repaint I mean, it all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. that's the reason Vegemite has so many blue rides. There's so many. Have a lot of blue paint. Yeah. There's a, lot of, there's a lot that goes into it more than just like, you know, oh, this would be just a really fun color scheme. But every once in a while. And it also kind of comes down, and this is something that I want to bring up, is dur- durability. Durability. You can have a Aging, color scheme like yeah. Tatsu, which is definitely an amazing color scheme when it opened. It was revolutionary. The amount of, like, red orange and yellow it had never been done before it was mm-hmm. like a masterpiece mm-hmm. but it's hard to paint and it fades so quick in the california sunday now yeah. it's like trash so like i think a lot of even orange fades, coasters have that issue actually because oh, yeah, expedition g-force is also there's <sighs> some coasters with really ambitious paint jobs like fire whip at bayo coretta world or the dragon and, and ocean, ocean park which were major contenders for this category but it's almost too much like the amount of like doing flames and like seven colors in your color scheme for, <laughs> is is almost over the top, and it if you're not updating it like every five years, it gets really bad really quick. So our nominee, ultimately, our winner. our winner was actually I think a surprise for a lot of people, but one that has stuck out in my mind as my favorite color. Like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "That's my favorite color scheme," and I've thought about it every time we've talked about color schemes for coasters. I think about this ride ever since I wrote it in April of 2017. It's Bosque Magico's zombie ride. Bosque Magico in Monterey, Mexico. The color scheme for this ride is 
Somewhere between acid green and neon yellow. Which fades mm-hmm. really well. Depending on who you ask. I mean, I'm colorblind. As a person who can't really tell yeah. green this, and yellow this apart. This really helps you defending why it's the best color scheme. Yeah. Oh, I'm colorblind. <laughs> this is the best color scheme. Because it looks good whether your <laughs> eyes work properly or not. Oh, okay. Nice say <laughs> And then yeah. the supports are somewhere between dark purple and oh, like a midnight blue. Like, I don't even know. Which, again, helps with yeah, fades. Like, it still looks really good. Yeah. I mean, to, whether it looks like neon yellow and midnight blue or acid green and, like, violent, violet purple, either way, the color scheme on this ride is so dramatic and so beautiful, and the finish on it is so pristine. I mean, if you've seen some of these Skyrocket 2 models built at, like, the SeaWorld parks and stuff, the finish on them, it's like candy. Like, the paint is so glossy and so beautiful. The track style mm-hmm. really lends itself to, to being painted these dramatic colors so it, it became, like, photographing this ride became an instant obsession because also with a blue sky background on a sunny day, mm-hmm. there was nothing that you could add to the, the color palette of this ride, whether it's, like, mountains in the background with, like, blue smoke in the distance or, or green grass and I think if you put foliage, all of you, it. Yeah. If you put nine coasters on one picture, that will be the one that stands out. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good way of putting that. Yeah. And you know what? I do want to also give a bit of a shout out to the Medusa coasters here because they were the first to test that color scheme. Mm-hmm. And whenever you look at a picture of like Discovery Kingdom from a dis- distance, Medusa, even though it's faded now, still yeah. jumps out. Um, and they mm-hmm. can still get to the next level with more polish, a little bit darker tones on yeah. Zombie Ride. I just, it is such a dramatic, audacious choice, especially for a park like Bullscape Magic. Go, they don't have anything tall. This was their first really, like, tall ride. Hmm. And Monterey, Mexico, I mean, this is it. This is their amusement hmm. park, and that ride is, like, their pride and joy. It's got the highest capacity of any of the steel, uh, the Skyrocket 2 coasters. It's the only one with a sliding station. Sliding and station, and you go through twice. twice. And the queue for it the is rest, a, a little intense. fully sure functioning. <laughs> oh, yeah, I only wrote it a couple. <laughs> I only wrote it, like, twice because I could only go through the queue. Times? Sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, I only waited in line for it twice because the queue was too scary. Oh, yeah. Because it's a fully functioning haunt with audio animatronics and live scare actors. Um, so it was too much for me. But sounds, sounds COVID friendly. They need like a chicken <laughs> queue, like a way for you to queue up for the ride that doesn't involve going through a, an active scare zone. Because <laughs> it was, but man, the people of Monterey have a good thing going with that Guys, ride. This would have been a good transition to best queue nomination. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but okay. but instead, instead, it's something else. Yeah, it's going to be the roughest transition, yeah. but it's fine. Well, hey, this ride has a soundtrack in the queue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's it, too. <laughs> I was waiting for my transition. <laughs> We're going from a queue soundtrack <laughs> that's zombie-themed. <laughs> Everyone knows this, I'm sure of it. Everyone that's it's, written knows. If you know, you know. Yeah, if, if you know it, you know. It's it's the best coaster soundtrack goes to the Vliegende Hollander. And I think, obviously, there are a so few nicely. rides that would Glad fit that in this spend. category. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's it's... I think for me, it's one of those songs like It's a Small World. Once you mm-hmm. hear it, yep. it's stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And um, it's not only that, because you have the main tune, but then it, when you go through the queue, it's also every area that has, has its own soundtrack. If you're in the bar area, you have the 
they also added the the noise of actually being in a bar and then you see the station you have that music you go into the ride you also have like the the port music uh when you uh leave and um you have like the the sea scene so that's like the second scene where you're going through pitch darkness mm -hmm. so the only thing lifting and theming the ride at that point is the music so mm -hmm. uh and then right before you see the flying dutchman the build up like it's just uh it was actually rene merkelberg's first big project for the efteling uh, and since then he has obviously done a few more um so uh yeah i think fleeing the hollander definitely deserves that uh, yeah, it's one of those rides that has a, a really strong build-up when it comes to queue, and station is gorgeous, and the ride itself has a really nice dark ride section as well. It's a pretty decent coaster section, but it all just really gets tied together by that by that individual score. Mm -hmm. That soundtrack is just like it just elevates the experience. I mm -hmm. like I just get excited just thinking about that song. I can hear like one second of it, and I'm like taken mm -hmm. back right to that ride station. It's I the most Efteling thing. It is so Efteling ever. And which is a really nice compliment to give anything. Mm -hmm. And it's what a soundtrack is supposed to do in a theme park. It's to lift up your spirit, and that's perfectly... Mm -hmm. It has the dramatic moments. It has the happy moments. It, it's an emotional roller coaster. And it's, <laughs> and it's just a great ride, too. Like, you couldn't put good music on a bad ride and say, like, well, mm -hmm. it's a good ride because of the music. This is a good ride, too. But yeah, it's said, a positive like, association. Having to, like, elevate the experience and, like, having you, you know get you in a feel and like sitting that atmospheric tone mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. continues on in themed areas and so our best themed area soundtrack goes to Tomorrowland in Shanghai Disneyland mm -hmm. which is a very atmospheric peaceful yet slightly upbeat um, atmospheric soundtrack that plays it is. with the lights and it's it's one of the first, and what I wrote in the article, um, I don't know the exact wording, i got to look at it real quick, but I think I said something along the lines where I was like, this is the first time a Disney got a ride with Tomorrowland. Yeah. They've always tried, like, the yeah. space thing, or they've tried, like, the super hyperactive music, like Magic Kingdom, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't mm -hmm. engulf me in the area and be like, wow, this really, like, makes me feel like I'm somewhere else. And the first time I was ever truly transported in one of the Tomorrowlands, not even Paris, was in Shanghai Disney's Tomorrowland because the mm -hmm. atmospheric music... It just worked. I was at a complete piece with a beautiful landscape that was just all metal and glass um, with this really nice soundtrack. The music is, is um, pleasant and optimistic sounding in a way that is a nice dichotomy with the more foreboding presence of Tron um, mm -hmm. and the theme that Tron has um, is, is pretty intense. So I, I enjoy that the music is... is, is is delightful, verging on delightful, while also um, meshing really nicely with this this I, I, to call it futuristic almost. It's is, like an ambient futuristic. Yeah, is how I like to describe it. It's like a positive yet incredibly sophisticated. It doesn't try future. too hard. It doesn't try hard to evoke futurism as a concept. It just feels just right um, mm -hmm. for this area that doesn't necessarily. To me. Uh, Tomorrowland and Tron is does a step better than trying to emulate the future. I I I've always believed that Tron at Shanghai Disney is is fantastic in the sense it's an aesthetic. It's not a prediction. Yeah, and that's the difference. Uh, even though Paris, it's was already a prediction, timeless. It was like, 
a rehash of a past prediction yeah. of the future. All the other ones have all been like predicting, trying to do trying something to with play, the future. Trying to, to cast the stone beyond time. Yeah, and this and hope that we don't catch up in, to it. In an idea, lives in a this Tron kind exists of like aesthetic and it outside. doesn't live in a timeline. It exists really outside important. of linear time. It's mm-hmm. in its own multiverse. And the music carries that perfectly. Like, absolutely perfectly. I do want to give a shout-out, even though we didn't mention them in the two last categories, to Imascore, because they also yeah. made uh, their stamp on the theme park uh, oh, community. Totally. Uh, uh, theme park, uh, theme parks in the world uh, by now. Uh, Americans and, are finally getting the Imascore hype because of Orion yeah. at Kings Island. And the whole area, the Area 72 music. So for the best themed area, I would also two candidates that could have been there too for me were uh, Klukheim in Phantasialand, without a doubt, but especially that. But that's personally me. Uh, Avalon in Toverland as well, because mm-hmm. it just brings that happy mood and that atmosphere of the the magical feeling, um, and it has a big variety also in the sounds, and it's unlike the. Some of the other Imascore um, soundtracks that they've made, because they tried new things there, and that was really nice to hear. Yeah, I remember Avalon being incredibly sophisticated and, um, in a way, very calming. It was like Mm -hmm. the water, and like even the way they built Phoenix, and then that music kind of again ties all together. I think there is a lot of music in the theme park industry. That is either pop music or regional parks, which I just don't like. And then <laughs> a, an attempt at atmospheric music mm-hmm. or, you know, stylistically mm-hmm. appropriate music, which is the majority of, like, the destination theme parks. But only very few theme park areas hit it on the nail when they have just a perfect atmospheric just tying it all together. And there's only a few areas. And I don't think the decision-making was very challenging to get to our nominees. The nominees yeah. were all like... In, uh, yeah, you know, it was Avalon, Klokheim. Right, uh, right, right away. Shanghai. It was, it was choosing from the few select outstanding musical scores in areas. That was the hardest, I think. Mm-hmm. So thank you for bringing those up, Sven. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll just listen... Like, we'll listen to the Tron sound... Or the, the Shanghai Tomorrowland... Hmm. soundtrack for like, like it's on youtube it's yeah. like an hour and a half li- loop and we'll just listen to it hmm. we'll alex it say on. something strange say something really strange <laughs> something obscure yeah <laughs> <laughs> like we're going um a few hours by train from shanghai disney to um <laughs> the winner for our most obscure roller coaster name which I mean, obviously, it was going to be in China. Yeah, there's just no way around it. <laughs> there were some. There were some great candidates in Japan. Some of my favorites, like well, what's we, the winner? Do, are we going straight to the winner? Yeah, because I like I, I like I like for this to be like a, a bang. I want people to know right away, like this is the craziest thing you ever heard. Which of. which park is this at? Because I can't keep this them is all. This at um, Sunak Land. Nanchang Sunak Land. Okay, this is. The best, most obscure coaster name, Spinning Porcelain, also known as Porcelain Puree <laughs> at Nanchang Sunak Land. It's a it's golden horse, right? Jinma oh, rides. Yeah, it's a Jinma horse. rides. Uh, basic. I mean, the coaster isn't too much to write home about. It's a it's a standard um, Jinma rides ripoff of a Mauer spinner, but the theme is pottery and. <laughs> 
You are spinning <laughs> on porcelain. You are. But you're also you porcelain are the afterwards. You are the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the name is actually a sequence of events. You are... You start out, uh, you're on the pottery wheel spinning. You are a lump of clay being remolded into the image of the artist. And then by the end of it, you're just grounded up puree like like <laughs> carrot juice for a smoothie. And this, <laughs> the funny thing about this name is that we have like the two names, but that's really common in China. Like mm-hmm. there's really two signs next to it, right. One says porcelain, spinning porcelain, and then the sign right next to it says porcelain, porcelain puree. puree. Because like translations are so wild in China that sometimes they'll give a right English name, but then also have the literal translation of mm-hmm. the Chinese name. So, like, I think we wrote several things. Like, Falcon was also Eagle's Flight. Yeah. At Wuchi Sunnagland. And we're like, so which one is, is yeah. it? Eagle? Is the it Eagle or The fact that there was Falcon? multiple like, English names for rides and that neither of them were the trade name. Because there's some countries, you go to Taiwan, every coaster has, like, three names. The, like, the Taiwanese name and then, like, the trade name for the ride and then, like, an English name, like, G5, a G5 diving coaster. And then the, the 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 Taiwanese name for it is flying submarine, <laughs> um, <laughs> or um, in, at the same park, the in, insane speed flying car, which is their B and M floorless coaster. But it was also called floorless coaster in English subtitles, and then whatever the name was for it mm. um, in in Chinese. I do want to give a shout out to like my second favorite that I really was toying with as making this the winner was. The shipwreck construction coaster, or whatever it's called. What is it called again? It's a oh my god! It's a Zamperla like motorbike coaster that's themed to shipbuilding. Yeah, it's like you live at an indoor park ship. in China. No, I so, really think uh, Japan had some good ones. I, but Space Salamander at Expo Land <laughs> will always be one of my favorites. Yeah, it was called Shipbuilding Workshop. The ride Shipbur- Shipbuilding at Nanjing Workshop. Wanda theme at park. Nanjing Wanda Park. So I guess the whole theme is you go on a motorbike, fixing Building, a ship. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? And then another one. Another, like, where does this come from? The first thing that actually came to mind for me, because I'm not as... Spinning porcelain is fairly new, no less deserving. But um, the first one that comes to mind when I think of, like, a great coaster is uh, some of the family coasters in, in Japan, like Wham Wham Coaster Wandit <laughs> at um, Yomiuri Land, which I don't know if these really mean anything. Like, I don't know if they are... I wish I was Japan, which is like, oh, this sounds cute. This sounds kawaii. The, the family coaster <laughs> at Space World was called Boogie Woogie Space Coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sad. I'm sad that Boogie Woogie Space Coaster and Space Salamander are no longer with us. Those mm. are Southern Japan classics that um, yeah, some words I can't even pronounce. Just like the location of our next park. I can't even <laughs> pronounce the city name. Do you, can you pronounce the city name? You word? can say it beautifully. I'm very confident. Every way I'm not sure if it's wonderful. correct, but I think it's Katowice. Okay, it's better than I could have said it. That works for me. And what park's located I'll take there? Legendia. Legendia. Which wins what category? <laughs> Best park layout. And this one, we're going to have to have Sven talk. It's all about yeah. it. We haven't been. So yeah. Sven, tell us. Yeah, but maybe first, best park layout. Uh, it's not an easy category. Like, when no. we talked it about the it, there were a lot of things that came most. up. And it's like, is it the most practical? Or is it the most beautiful? Or, or does it have to be special? Or, And I think we settled for a mixture between practical and... Aesthetic. Uh, aesthetic. Um, so why 
did we put Legendia then? Well, they basically it's a big lake, and that's where all the rides are. <laughs> it's as simple <laughs> as that. But it really makes the lake the centerpiece of the whole park, and so it it it's also pretty huge because when you enter the park, uh, it's like a little uh, main street. And from there, the first thing you see across the lake is Leg Coaster. So mm. they really used it very good as well. Plus, it's also, the lake is kind of right because you have a, a little boats that you can take up there right next to the Leg Coaster as well. So um, another thing is that there aren't really um, dead ends uh, that I know of. Mm, it's no, like a I don't true think loop. So. Yeah. Virtually no... Mm-hmm. So like holes. it's for me it's less is more and I think mm-hmm. that's uh, uh, some something a lot of parks struggle with uh, by having not that transparent way of walking around. Yeah, and you know um, the first conversation we had is like the first thing our minds kind of jumped to when we started this conversation uh, among among the team was well. Tokyo Disneyland has the most perfect layout. Everything is like a direct line. Tokyo Disney is else. like the Pentagon. Like, like it everything is, is super close. It's eerily efficient to the point where it's no longer charming. But then again, the problem, <laughs> like, well, everything is super connected, and you can walk from one ride to another within like two minutes from anywhere in the park. The problem became, well, the themes are always bleeding. Bleeding. There is not a single area that I feel like has has its own kind of theme. And um, like Pirates Tokyo of the Disneyland. Caribbean is is connected to the hub. At Tokyo Disney, it <laughs> like, does not all feel. The rides it doesn't just feel like right that you can up. see Cinderella's castle from the entrance to Pirates of the Caribbean completely mm-hmm. unobstructed, like it's just plugged right in, which is obviously great for traffic flow. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no better traffic flow in the world than the traffic flow for Tokyo Disney. Um, but then it comes at a price. It does come at mm-hmm. the expense of of some of the rides. Just don't feel like they have the presence that they should. Uh, because they're so dominated by mm-hmm. the vast network of massive midway. And that's, I think, where, like, the connection began. Like, well, yeah, you want something that's somewhat efficient. You don't want, like, the weirdest park layout mm-hmm. where it takes forever to yeah. get from point A to point B. But you also want something that, like, is aesthetically pleasant. Um, and then sometimes, like 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 we said, less is more. And so Lahendia was a good option here because it it doesn't try to combine too many different themes. And it doesn't have too much infrastructure to the point where, like, you have to navigate a bunch of different themed areas just to get mm-hmm. to another. Yeah. And I think that's why Islands of Adventure was a contender but fell away. It's because mm-hmm. if you want to get from, like, Potter to Hoke, you have to go to, like, three it's completely different themed areas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, at that point, it, it becomes There's some bleeding there. And there's bleeding. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, but I knew the winner was going to have a giant central lagoon because I feel like that's... The best parks are central lagoon. That's, like, my favorite way to see a park situated mm-hmm. is with a large lake or a lagoon kind of dictating the shape and in a perfect world being a, a pretty smooth circle that doesn't have a lot of dead ends or bottlenecks and so Legendia was mm-hmm. perfect yeah I think we don't have that category but the most annoying layout or one of the most <laughs> annoying must be Alton Towers because <laughs> <laughs> Alton Towers like getting from one ass. side we did like a sarcastic show <clears throat> yeah. sorry like from getting from one adventure. side to the other side is really hard Six Flags Great Adventure is the most terribly <clears throat> well, organized so part America. oh like, yeah from Badwing to Mind Eraser is really like a four-hour, yeah. like, no, not, not quite that intense. Just the infrastructure just setup is so, yeah, Six Flags America used to be pretty normal-looking until they started expanding past um, 
wild one, and then it just became like this weird like hook shaped series of of dead ends with coasters. But for me, I, <laughs> uh, Thorpe Park also wasn't the best. It was like it's shaped like a hand, or at least it was when I went because they had a huge chunk of it closed off to build uh, Darren Brown's ghost train. But I remember walking mm. through that park and thinking there couldn't possibly be a park that was more convoluted to navigate than Alton Towers. Uh, and yet Thorpe Park seemed to have achieved a similar feat with much less square footage. I'm like, wow, they really accomplished something here by mm-hmm. having such a dreadfully pain in the ass park to navigate despite not being very big. Reminds me of Dream World in Australia. Oh my god. That park that is absolute trash. We haven't been, but we did a YouTube like, like walkthrough walk of that park and just walking I wanted to just die. Just yeah, man. like from the point of view of the die. cameraman, I'm like I'm so frustrated for you by how this park is organized. <laughs> like I hate it so much. Still a bucket lister for us. But yeah, I would say generally speaking, like Central Lagoons are definitely the the kind of like key to a good park layout. Uh, and speaking of central lagoons, our next category is located beautifully on the end of a central lagoon. Yes, our I was next a contender definitely. Is the best non-ride attraction, which is going to go to the Will Shark Aquarium at Chamlong Ocean Kingdom in Henking Bay in South China. If you know us, you know that this is our favorite park, and that like if you know aquariums, you'll know how big of a deal this aquarium yeah. is. If you this happen is, to be uh, a private aquarium aficionado, and you think that the Georgia Aquarium and stuff is one of America's best assets, then this is a category that you care about. Yeah, this is the world's largest aquarium with an incredibly large aquarium wall, home to five will sharks and a couple thousand other species, species of creatures. And, sea creatures. Creators. and Creators. this is an incredibly massive operation, and it's all within Chamlong Ocean Kingdom. So I would say this could have easily been a standalone attraction where they charge mm-hmm. 70 bucks a day for. Yeah. Because it's that incredibly nice. Like we spent at least three hours in there. But it's part of a theme park. It's just and, it's just one of the attractions. And that's why <laughs> it was almost like it was almost like uncontestedly like the best non ride attraction because the fact that that is inside a theme park, it's greater than any walkthrough. It's greater than any aquarium. Even you know even the parks that are dedicated to aquariums, um, don't do it as yeah. well as this thing does. It's absolutely uncanny that the largest aquarium, the largest oceanarium in the world, the biggest record breaking place keeping of live fish for viewing entertainment is the also the only one of any in the top contending aquariums or or anything that isn't just a standalone attraction it's mm-hmm. absolutely mind blowing that all, all like the second largest and most loved is the Georgia Aquarium which is the record that was held before Chimung Ocean Kingdom broke it almost 10 years after the Georgia Aquarium opened and the Georgia Aquarium is a major major tourist destination for the entire southeastern United States. So the fact, for anyone that's familiar, if you can imagine the Georgia Aquarium being twice as large, but also just being a single attraction inside of a pay-one-price theme park, that's the kind of, like, mind-blowingness that we're looking at with There's a reason that this park has a higher attendance than Shanghai Disneyland does, and it's the highest attendance park in China. And that's because the product is so... Incredibly massive and luxurious and over the top that, like, again, it's something that's larger than the Georgia Aquarium. is really just another attraction in this massive themed experience. And uh, and that's why, I mean, there's really not much to talk about except for it's really great. And that's why it won. This park is, a doubt everyone knows that, that we, like, worship this park. And it was a contender, honestly. Like, it was a, in the top five for, like, several of these categories that we're talking about, like, 
there there were so many like this park has a great layout. There's great area music here. There's some funny really coaster names. Wind coaster trains. There's uh, yeah, Rolling Stock is up there. Uh, like overall theme commitment. Like this park is such a top 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 performer. Any way you look at it, live performances, shows, parades, nighttime spectaculars, rides, coasters, dark rides, and in this case, the best non-ride attraction. Um, I forgot. Was... Did you guys go one day or two days? <laughs> we did. We one, actually we just did one. And we did open to close though, which yeah, was, and there was no one there. We went on for some magical yeah. reason. We like opened really and the park was empty, and we still were. It still took God, us till dusk was... to get all of the credits because we were so... Well, yeah, there's not that many coasters, so our goal was like, well, let's hit the credits and then everything else. But then we got so the distracted content. that it was 4 p.m. We were so wrapped up to Mount in Walmer everything. Mm. We were just like, oh, wow, these river dolphins. Oh, wow. These, yeah, Chinese river dolphins. Like, we just, it was a never-ending exploration mm. station. Yeah. So, yeah, next okay. time we're going to go several days. This park also would have been a contender for our next award, which is Park with Best Pavement. And this I think is, everyone can guess this, this is one, kind right? of a funny. Well, I mean, I would hope so. I mean, anyone that's been to this park that won the category is going to be like, oh, yeah, totally. And the reason that we even have this category is because we feel like what you walk on when you're walking through a theme park absolutely can make or break the storytelling component. Some parks have concrete midways or, or just whatever, whatever material they use. Some parks have midways that are so ugly that it like brings the entire <laughs> experience down whether it's a themed experience or not. I mean... Yeah, like, think of Western-themed areas with concrete. I mean, it happens a lot in the U.S. Like, almost every park has a Western-themed area, like, especially from parks in the 90s. Um, And, like, if there's concrete flooring, the whole idea of, like, this Western town is gone because it's supposed to be just dust and sand, which obviously doesn't work in a theme park. But if you don't even try, it's not going to work. There really aren't a lot of themed areas that lend themselves to having a cement ground, you know? Mm -hmm. Some parks, I mean, some of the traditional parks out there with, like, the brick pavers and stuff makes the aesthetic. It changes mm-hmm. the entire feel of a park like that. So for us, going thinking about that and thinking about how, uh, what you're walking on at a like park which can, pathways truly can expand, us can take, yeah, <laughs> figuratively and literally taking us to different yeah. worlds in this category, it had to be Disney's Animal Kingdom because... Nothing quite sets the stage for your transportation to Asia, Pandora, Africa, Africa Pandora. even Dinoland USA. <laughs> it's truly the red carpet upon you walk. This, this storytelling, this, this character, this history almost. They make the lands of these areas look like they've always been there. It's, you know, pure magic. In, in the sense, in the yeah, Disney like sense. if you were even even for the queues, if you walk, for example, for Kali River Rapids, from the little village over to the temples, yeah, every Maharaja. inch of that queue, yeah. every bit of theming is incorporated with the floor yeah. somehow. Like the ground, the the pavement, just completely. Like if you're going over rocks, it's like rocks, mm-hmm. and if you're in the temples, it's like old brick that's smudged. They have with, queues that feel know. that look like substrate, like like it's loose material on the floor but it's actually uh an illusion it's it's you know it's 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 gathered it's a gathered you know high impact walking area um and this is also one of the very few parks in the world where um the vast 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 majority of pavement 
is uniquely themed and thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Even the entrance to the park is. Yeah. Like, even the very first thing you do before you even see the, the, the tree of life, you're, you're going to, like, a forest. Yeah. And so there's only one area where it's concrete slash asphalt, which is literally the, the part of the park that's themed to a county fair on the parking lot, which yeah. mm-hmm. seemed to that as well. So I guess even then, it's thematically It was ironic and yet flimsy because they did build Chester and Hester's Dinorama on what used to be employee parking. But it worked. And then it, that so it like, actually worked even with there, it's this, like, Route correct. 66, like, dumpy sideshow theme that they chose on purpose because they knew it would be a cost-efficient measure. Hmm. So it actually carried the legacy of, of Animal Kingdom's commitment to using the floor as... The first yeah, step really, in your storytelling component. It really helped with making areas like Africa and Asia feel very vintage, uh-huh. which leads us to our next ride. Uh, before next before we go there, I want to say that now, the first time I visit Animal Kingdom, <laughs> I'll look at the floor a lot. Yeah, <laughs> look at your feet. It's not hard because you will trip if you watch out. Floor to ceiling is a Definitely feast for the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. But I like vintage, Sean. <laughs> Why is that <laughs> Yeah, we're going to the best vintage ride collection. And um, I think uh, most theme park fans will have this one park in mind. Um, maybe in the U.S. you'll think of something else. But especially in Europe, uh, I think most of you will think about Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went there uh, two years ago, and it's you're really stepping back in time. Um, of course, a big part of that is because of the wooden coasters, which have been there for years and years and years, but still go well, pretty decently. Um, there's, of course, Revolution, um, and even the big one, I think, Stands out. Yeah, they've got some historic arrow rides. Mm -hmm. You might think like, oh, like you know, not everybody is as big of a fan of like hundred-year-old wooden coasters as me. But if you're a fan of like neo classics, like Mm -hmm. this 1970s being such an exciting era for steel coaster development, Mm -hmm. and the 90s too, the 70s, the 90s, and like pre World War Two era. This is one of the few parks that even if you haven't been, in my case, it just screams vintage. Like I look oh, at yeah. even one picture of the park and I'm like, wow, this park looks like it is straight from like a hundred years ago, you mm-hmm. know? And also the dark rides add yeah. up to that because Alice in Wonderland, the Ghost Train, uh, these are priceless. the cave one. Uh, yeah, the River Caves, 1905 mm-hmm. <laughs> was when that opened. There was a modification made like in the 30s, I think, to give it the little mm-hmm. drop that it has. Mm-hmm. It used to just be a, a simple, it used to be just a basic mm-hmm. old mill I mean, it really is still quite basic. I mean, before before Disney started doing, like, the Small World and Pirates of the Caribbean style, like, pumped flumes, flume rides like this had just a lift, a small lift hill and a trough with water in it, and it was just all gravity drifting. Mm. You just made your way through like you would down a, a very gentle stream mm. with, with no uh, uh, moving parts uh, except for at the very, very beginning after you mm-hmm. crested the little conveyor lift. And it's also interesting how the modern easily integrates in that vintage setting, like mm-hmm. Icon. I, for me, it felt like, well, I, obviously I saw it was new, but it blended in very well with the existing rides and mm-hmm. just 
looking at the coaster and then seeing all those other coaster tracks uh, around it and the vintage style, I... Yeah, I think it, Icon, it, to me, looks like it really... You know how, like, Big Dipper has all of that Art Deco artwork and stuff, like the chrome, like, steel mm-hmm. fountains, and there's a lot of, like, classic art that is very mod mm-hmm. in Blackpool, like, from the 50s and 60s, and, and Icon, did, like, lends itself so nicely to that. I mm-hmm. think they deserve a shout-out for that, because I think they really deliberately chose the color palette, the chrome, mm-hmm. yeah, um, just so, like, it would really be just another... There's so much Art Deco you know, revival. This, like, vintage-looking mm-hmm. park. Mm-hmm. Which is really cool. I mean, there's so much. Like, the, the Derby Racer Carousel, which really isn't even that old compared oh, yeah. to some of their stuff. But it's priceless. And it has, like, that yeah. that, that glass tile mosaic and the, the pipe organ that plays Queen songs. Like, <laughs> oh, man. There's yeah. just nothing better. The, the car ride, the Arrow car ride, the Grand Prix, was built in 1960. That makes it mm-hmm. older than, um, like, Autopia at Disneyland as we know it. Because it took them several years to get Autopia, uh, you know, sorted out as far as, like, the development of, like, the center guardrail. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that technology, that that ride is as much of golden era amusement park technology development as Disneyland is. Um, and then there's, like, the flying machines, the cable suspended little rockets, uh, 1904. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the oldest amusement park attraction in Europe, and certainly one of the oldest in the world, um, mm-hmm. and yet still such a satisfying, like memorable, quintessentially uh, Blackpool expo- uh, uh, pleasure mm-hmm. beach experience. And they make a lot of hard decisions. I mean, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a business. You got to be profitable. You got to keep people mm-hmm. safe. Wild Mouse. People are mad and sad about Wild Mouse being demolished, but based on my rides on Wild Mouse, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, yeah, it was super cool, but, mm-hmm. like, it, it, that ride has probably sent way more than its fair share of riders to the first aid stand, maybe even sent mm-hmm. a few to the hospital. I mean, it was one of the most terrifying and violent experiences ever, and I'm like, no theme park in 2020 can afford um, the lawsuit that a ride mm-hmm. like Wild Mouse was, was sure to deliver at some point uh, or another, so... Some people are going to say that, like, you know, no park um, that demolishes a ride like Wild Mouse is worthy of of being called, like, the best vintage ride amusement park. But at the end of the day, I mean, this park still has... The Wild Mouse was only their fifth oldest wooden coaster. The other four mm-hmm. wooden coasters in the park that are older and more historic uh, are intact. I think they're running great. Um, Big Dipper being the oldest park... The oldest coaster in the park, 1923, is, you know, it's a back adjustment, but it's a good ride. It's my favorite ride there. It's my favorite ride in Great Britain. Um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a hard choice at all. I mean, Kennywood is really the only other park that I think a lot of people think of when they think of this. And it's really, it's, it's Kennywood level, Kennywood at its best, but even more. Like, there's just even more and older and more mm-hmm. memorable and historic um, just like a higher volume of it, and I think a better setting. Yeah, because like I, I don't know Kennywood, but is uh, it's the boardwalk style that kind of mm-hmm. reflects on the park, and that's what you it's think so, of a classic, like a, yeah, it's like classic, Victorian classic revival seaside pleasure beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eighteen nineties kind of uh, of feel in places. So, uh, really, it was we. This was we thought was one of the best ways to to give a shout out to the United Kingdom because 
there's a lot of you know there's a lot that the, that that country is can be member, remembered for as far as theme parks go but i think at the end of the day blackpool's living breathing mm-hmm. ride history museum that you can uh experience is well yeah, is, we've always kind of had like most historic awards or mm-hmm. best seaside park awards and i just I'm surprised no one ever really hit it rather than it with vintage mm-hmm. because there are some parks like Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk or Kennywood or even in a way more like, experienced or Kenobles or Kenobles. And of course, Blackpool Pleasure Beach, which for the Europeans is pretty, pretty great because most of the really classic old surviving parks are in the U S. Um, and so I really think this was a great category introduced, but also we had like the perfect winner for mm-hmm. it too. I think there is mm-hmm. undoubtedly, Blackpool Pleasure Beach took that one. Yeah. Question is, do they have dinosaurs? <laughs> they do, actually. I was going to ask they if you this overall theme, but either they might, way. They yeah. have yeah. a little Disney-inspired, like, mind train through Nature's Wonderland and Primeval World at, at Blackpool. But did they have a 4D coaster through a forest? No. no. <laughs> See, so, and they don't have Dinosaur Mountain. So our award for most unique overall theme goes to the park... Um, which has a whole entire park dedicated to the theme of dinosaurs. Um, in every, it's every, every four-year-old in American every boy's dream. Possible mm-hmm. Also in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Something Which I about is, little kids and dinosaurs. So it's not the like world. In, Gu- in Changshou, China, you never outgrow your obsession with dinosaurs. Because they it's, are considered Jurassic Park in the East. They yeah. have the largest collection of dinosaur fossils in the Eastern world. And so our Mochinique overall theme award goes to China Dinosaur Land. Also known as China Dinosaur Park, but on our visit we saw yeah. the word land everywhere. So that's true to form for China. Multiple English translations and also a Chinese translation. Um, yeah, this park is mm. completely nuts. Like out of this world, some dinosaur high fantasy, like you're on drugs. There's like every possible theme. So imagine walking through a city and there's like graffiti and you're like in a back alley, but it's also yeah. dinosaurs. You're and in like, like the, me- you're in the you're jungle, in the metro. You're in like snakes, urban. But the snakes are also dinosaurs. Yeah. And then you're going on a studio tour that also ends up being like a Joan Cruise, but it's also with dinosaurs. Or you're going to like Seuss Landing at at Islands of Adventure, but instead of the Who's, there's baby dinosaurs. dinosaurs. And so... Or you're like going shopping in like a really fancy shopping plaza, and you have like all of these nice clothing stores and like fashions and like handbags and sunglasses. It's all dinosaurs. dinosaurs. (laughs) And then you're in a a Mediterranean harbor and it's like sunny out and there's... It's a beach. And and all the residents are out, but the residents are dinosaurs. dinosaurs. And then... The Stegosaurus is sunbathing. (laughs) And then you're... Yeah, you go through these rocky canyons and jungles Mm -hmm. and you even enter a mountain. Yeah. Which is filled with... Dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> so, like the whole, the whole theme park. It wasn't enough like for them to have dinosaurs. like all of these themed areas. It's it's enough. It's one thing for a park. This was something a trend, obviously, that was spearheaded by Disney, where like everything is kind of fantasy. You have Fantasyland, but then you have like the fantasy future, the fantasy yesterday. But there was never really Land. a tangible like reoccurring but character. There, this the theme, before. the overarching theme here that permeates all of these themed areas. It's more than just having a jungle area, an urban area, a kitty area, a beach area. It's dinosaur jungle, dinosaur urban, dinosaur <laughs> beach area. And we never realized how amazing that, like, it wasn't something we were thinking about until no, we I were there. No, I kind of looked at it as, um, as Wallaby Holland. So those who are familiar with Wallaby Holland, you know they have some really extreme and more pop culture themes there. Um, like Untamed, which is, you know, the wilderness, overgrown, Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is 
the entrance, which is really flashy, and the Hall of Fame, and art, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Pop culture. Festivalization. And Hollywood revival. Festivalization, Festivalization is what they call that. And they have lost grasp of all the containers. Yeah. Imagine pretty much Wild Holland, a little bit larger with some, with, with like Dynacon in the middle of it. But then imagine <laughs> all that, but just with like a but bunch of dinosaurs, dinosaurs added to it. And like the dinosaurs <laughs> are all living their best lives, representing that like aesthetic. Dinosaurs and like, Conta- shipping containers with a disco with list like like a DJ dinosaur yeah. in a di- in a con- shipping yeah. container area like I don't even know how to come up with this <laughs> yeah it's like, like really it, it, it's like Vanilla Ice came in and designed uh, a theme park area with dinosaurs based on his aesthetic but it was legit like Liddy Titty because we had the funnest time there <laughs> I can't believe you just said Liddy Titty on the podcast <laughs> I think it's not a funny, <laughs> funny word that's one of our favorites Liddy Titty yeah these dino titties I mean you walk into the park and you get what you would expect which is they have an area that's Skull Island, like King Kong, note for note. They even mm. have that Husk King Kong. Oh yeah, the Husk King Kong color. ride that Bobbyon Lund ha- mm-hmm. has. They still have that, right? Oh yeah. This is like the this is the only other known installation of that ride, but here it was, was like very significant to the overall theme. Which the was, line was too long, or we would have totally yeah, done that. I videotaped it. I was like, this is this is how I'm getting my credit these days for flat rides is by videotaping <laughs> them and moving on. You didn't miss anything. Yeah, I I, I know it's. It really looks more like a, a ma- like an audio animatronic that you ride, for yeah. better or for worse. Oh yeah. So that's about so. it. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that's the only park I've ever been to that has such a complete the dedication only, to one the that theme. I thought about. Like, when, really, it was like we needed to highlight this park for that accomplishment because there's just no other place that comes close to that level of a of a definitive theme that permeates the whole park. But it, one that is close is Bonbon Land. Um, because Bonbon Land has several themes. Like, they've got Western themes and, like, nature and fantasy and kids and stuff, but it's also their whole, like, humor Well, there of was the definitely, like, several stuff. approaches we could have taken, because you could have also gone with, like, Efteling, which feels completely mm-hmm. cohesive mm-hmm. and, like, yeah. theming and dedication to, like, yeah. you know, a, th- a themed aspect of the resort. But I think when we start to think about all these parks that are really consistent and have a great overall theme and atmosphere... We kind of come down to it like, well, there's only one that really has like this one dedication yeah. and they make it work. And it, I think that's when Dinosaur yeah. Park just kind of, it's or so Dinosaur Land kind of became special it. special and unorthodox and people need to be talking about it. Like people should be aware. I mean, it is a pretty popular park. I that there's a theme park that has all of these China, themes, so. but also the unifying theme of dinosaurs. Is there a so. dinosaur dark ride? There is not. But there are other parks with really good <laughs> dark rides. Our next park, our next category, does in a sense have a dinosaur dark ride a, a little bit. But it has a lot more. Di- it has more. more it's got a lot more than dinosaurs. Most um, our best dark ride lineup is one that we thought about a lot because so many of the parks that we talk about, um, whether it's this particular podcast or on previous parks and stuff, we are definitely dark ride people. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney parks, Universal parks, Efteling uh, are ones that come to mind when we think of, like, the, the best overall collection of dark rides. Um, there's a few other parks that may not have that big of a collection of dark rides, but ones that you can't talk about dark rides without talking about, like, Pirates of the Caribbean in Shanghai or Final Sea Battle at Wuchi Sunak Land. And it's funny because we kind of started like tallying rides at one point. We're like, yeah, yeah well, these are all really great. Yeah. And like, wow, this park has this many rides. And we start tallying, and then we realized like there's one, there's absolute only one crazy lineup out there. And it, and that mm-hmm. we kind of took taking for yeah, granted. Yeah, it's so easy forever. to take this park for granted, especially if you're a pass holder. Um, but so. yeah, Disneyland in Anaheim is the OG is Disneyland. The only because of its age, and it has been around for so long, and has mm-hmm. continued to grow. 
um, despite the second gate next door or despite challenges with land, with finances. Um, Disneyland, just the, I mean, there's always something to be said for quality over quantity. Disneyland Mm -hmm. has both. Oh, Disneyland has all of the quality and all of the quantity. True. Um, it's hard. You want to start listing some? It's hard for me to even remember that Rise of the Resistance is there mm-hmm. because it's it such a new it. thing for yeah. me. And they certainly didn't need it in the sense that, like, the park, I've never once gone to Disneyland at Anaheim and felt like they were lacking anything. So the fact that they have Rise of the Resistance, which is, you know, whether you like Star Wars or not, it's one of the best dark rides in the world. Like, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, oh my god! Like this park that already had this stellar dark ride lineup now also has Rise of the Resistance, Rise of the Resistance on top of Indiana Jones Adventure, Temple of the Forbidden Eye, on top of the original Haunted Mansion, the original Pirates of the Caribbean, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, all the fancy, uh, all of the fancy, the, the most fabulous collection. Yep. Yeah, Peter Pan, Snow Mr. White, Pinocchio, Toad. Mr. Toad, Alice in Wonderland. Um, story, story broke the, the storybook. Can, well, yeah, that's sort of an outdoor, indoor, yeah, like an outdoor dark outdoor. ride. But s- scenes and vignetted like a well, dark ride. Well, it also has Buzz Lightyear. Small World, Buzz Lightyear. Oh, yeah, I like to forget that it even exists. But yeah, <laughs> even that is there. Um, uh, and the, I guess the, the, Disney, the, the submarines, the, Disney, the Finding Nemo the submarine, submarines yeah, count, Finding too. Nemo submarine voyage. That's so crazy. Um, like, how do we have the here, Disneyland like Express with the primeval world. Yeah. That's our dinosaur ride. That's our dinosaur. Dinosaur. The primeval, uh, the the mine train, uh, the 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 well, train I guess ride. There's a dinosaur on Big Thunder. Nature's. Too. Oh yeah. And oh, on Big Thunder, there's a dinosaur on Big Thunder. Oh yeah. The skull, oh yeah. The, yeah. The, the fossil. Do a dinosaur. The fossil. Yeah. Dark rides are such a significant characteristic in this park that every ride mm-hmm. also has dark ride components. Matterhorn has dark ride components. Splash Mountain. That's very Disney though. It's yeah. a dark ride for all intents and purposes. The dark ride level is so stellar and so high. And this park has like seven or eight magnificent e-ticket, e-ticket dark, dark rides. rides. Like truly e-ticket dark rides, including dark several D-ticket dark rides, like all of our little fantasy land rides and stuff. Mm-hmm. And to top it all off, they have a bun in the oven. They have another, this might not be our favorite dark ride in the world, but it's certainly a crowd pleaser. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, debuting in 2022. I think will feature the best dark collection of all remaining. It just, it Mm -hmm. would take another park, even our other contenders, it would take Efteling or Disneyland Paris or Shanghai Disney, multiple e-ticket dark rides to get to to Disneyland's. Anaheim's and level. the great thing is that Disneyland, Par- uh, sorry, Disneyland Park is actually kind of small, so they use this space so efficiently. This is where all mm-hmm. the people go when you have the capacity. It is a really excellent use of limited space. And <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of limited space, our just And like, still, like, there are other parks that have that bigger have challenges. better optimization. <laughs> and yeah. so our next category, Sven. The best use of limited space. Now, Which goes to? if you talk about a theme park that has a road underneath it where you can drive to go to the parking lot, <laughs> where you have houses, like, it's basically their Sharing garden the theme Launching park. It. Like the property yeah. line. Like, yeah. The property is so close. And then you have to build in several <laughs> levels because otherwise you can't fit all of your theming in there. So it's Fantasyland. It's Fantasyland. Disneyland and Gronaland were major competitors in this category, but mm-hmm. you could only yeah. give it to the park that has a B&M invert of 
impressive size and length, half buried in the ground and mm-hmm. hovering over a bus stop <laughs> that's parked <laughs> outside of the park. And not only the BNM yeah. invert, it also has like one of the most famous Intamin Blitz coasters. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like to a Vekoma like flying, flying the coaster. Flyer. I like to talk about this park is like it has arguably the best invert, the best Motor launch coaster, the best Bacoma mine train, the best spinning, the best spinning coaster. coaster, and best flying coaster, and the best shooting dark ride, and one of the, and one of the best, best thrill rides, yeah, B- one of the best lock flume, perhaps best mine train, lock flume, and they're all for sure. it is literally located in like one city block, yeah, it is crazy, and it's that I, I, limited space that drove them to think about how innovate. to use oh, it yeah. and how the innovation to, factor was out of yeah. necessity. Mm-hmm. Everyone is listening. You have to go to Google Earth and go to like your satellite images, um, or like Google Maps and go to satellite and look Fantasyland. You'll be blown away how incredibly small this park is. If oh you've yeah. Been. And the fact that like you can spend a whole day there and not get tired. You can spend several days. And there's three hotels. Like how do they fit three oh, hotels? Oh, one yeah. of the best fun houses that you can find anymore. Yeah. Without their tooth. I mean, they only do it to win. They don't mm-hmm. just build rides to build them. And if it's, it's not mm-hmm. if it's not a contender for the best in category in the world, Fantasia Land is not building it. They won't mm-hmm. do it. It's the best or nothing. Mm-hmm. Even Geister Rickshaw is a pretty amazing um, accomplishment because it's Chinese Haunted Mansion and it's under the Midway. Oh, Pirates yeah. Haunted Mansion. But it's Geister Rickshaw. It's Chinese. Well, yeah, but it has like the Pirates. But it's also Pirates. It has like the big Pirate ship. It's the Haunted Mansion meets Pirates of the Caribbean in Shanghai. In like old Shanghai. I don't think we should focus on that ride. It's so trash. But it's amazing because you're like walking on top of the ride the whole time and you would never know. It's true. Yeah. If it weren't for the emergency exit, I wouldn't even know there was a freaking ride. Or the first time mm-hmm. I went to Fantasia Land, I didn't ride it because I didn't know it was there. And then Sven took us to ride it and I'm like, where are we going? What is this? A lot this? of people And then we rode it and I'm like, oh my God, this ride is huge. Not even know yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> or like Hollywood Boat Ride and Fantasima and Temple, Temple of the, the Lift Hill. Um, in one <laughs> building, and it's literally like a three-layer cake yeah. of e-ticket attractions. I can't believe they had this little lake over behind the houses. Mm. I mean, look. <laughs> Some people Moving will say yes. ride was an e-ticket ride when it opened. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's nothing short of amazing the way they work with sidelines. Because, okay, so it's one thing to use your space very efficiently. Yeah. And just build a ton of rides. Because, like, Gronelund has rides then, on top like, of rides on top of they rides. They have these intricately themed areas with incredible sidelines. Like, when you're in Kluheim, you can't see any other theme. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you're in Africa, Rookberg. you can maybe see Mexico, but, like, you it can't blends really see nicely. And Rookberg, it's really enclosed. Like, yeah. there, it's only Rookberg when you're standing, town, too. standing very yeah. high that you obviously can see some Rookberg things. Rookberg is, but... like, a Diagon Alley level of, mm-hmm. of zeroing in and filling your entire field of oh, vision yeah. with only and like, canonical. And, like, having a portal into yeah. the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. It's almost, speaking of Harry Potter, when I think of... When I think of Fantasialand, I think of driving up to it, and nothing resembles a theme park. You only know if it's Fantasialand if you have the rec- if you can recognize Mystery t- Mystery Castle. Yeah, Mystery that's the Castle. only and it's yeah. height. Yeah, you can see it from like the city. You know, if you're a Muggle and you try to go to Hogwarts, it's like just an abandoned old castle. You can't <laughs> see it unless you're magical. Oh, or if you're, yeah. Or, but how did all the Muggles go on the tour of Hogwarts at Universal? I Tell think you have that. to be like given magical clearance or something. Oh, well, I wish I knew that. Yeah, because you can't, like, if you try, because Hogwarts exists in real life, but it's not, mm-hmm. it flies under the radar because you're only allowed to see it if, like, the magical 
people allow you to see it. <laughs> That's what Fantasia Land reminds me of because when you're you could you could walk a lap around Fantasia Land okay, and so not know story. that it's a theme park. We didn't know where to park when we went on our trip because we didn't park with sim parks like under the park like under the road. Yeah. We parked for the employees park. Because we parked of at the old thing. main entrance. And so oh, yeah. we first drove the wrong way and we were like, there's this bus stop and this little like this fry shop and it looked like we're in this like little German town, which if anyone that knows little German town, it's like super mundane. It's like a little village. Like like, like little slightly unappealing villages. And then there was like this little bus stop and we just have this big tall wall. We're like, why is, why is what's the wall behind so this big tall, tall wall? And then and they sent the a park. train. Oh yeah, we saw like the Black Mamba <laughs> and you can train. See yeah. Black Mamba train over, over the, the, bus, the stop. bus stop. And, and we're like, like, oh my God. When you're in the right park, there. you think that like Africa goes on forever. But yeah. like really, there's like an inch, yeah, when you're in the inch park, past your feet. There's you're a not, bus you're stop. not in the little German village anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just wild. And when you're in that village, you're only in Fantasialand if, if Fantasialand allows it. Was so it was such a perfect blending from like little small German village through old Berlin into the rest of the park. Mm-hmm. Fantasialand has done it right like repeatedly, and that's why it won this category. Yeah, mm-hmm. hands down. Yeah, other contenders. I mean, there's there's Indiana Beach is really there's good space. Some really space. Oh yeah, ugly. Indiana. <laughs> sort of. Indiana <laughs> Beach is fine. It's not. It's not ugly in the sense oh, sorry, that on the mind, not like, ugly in mm-hmm. the sense that it's like, like poorly maintained or gross. It's just a traditional park, doing mm-hmm. traditional park things. But I don't know and a lot of parks that have three rides on top of each other. Yeah. Oh no, I, don't, I think it's only. Yeah, well, the seven-layer dip amusement park yeah. approach has been mastered by Fantasyland. They've Gronaland and its mm-hmm. five drop towers. You know, couldn't hope to compare <laughs> to the majesty of. Uh, a drop tower inside of a brick building because even uh, made to look like a castle <laughs> yeah and even the winges area like there's a whole kitty area on top of the mm-hmm. building i, know. I remember I like think... walking there and i was like and like the really? tittle tattle tree well there's That's like a central, but then level. on top yeah. of that like on the area. side yeah. there is still another kitty area yeah, where they have like a, a show crawl. i think even. i wanted to go in there but i wasn't allowed yeah it was, well, it was pretty bad <laughs> Okay. Um, but yeah, and, and so like, it's one of the only parks with such limited space, with so many e-ticket attractions, that then also manages to have such an incredible atmosphere no matter where you go. Um, and on the topic of atmosphere... Mm, the last final category. Award, final Crystal Crown Award. This is the only park that won two categories. Can anyone... I wonder if our listeners could guess based... How best park atmosphere. Okay. And it's Three. the only park that two. has won two. One. Best Park Atmosphere Award goes to... Could only be... It is... The Efteling! Efteling. Yay! <laughs> and full wonderen, as you say in the Netherlands. What um, was that? A world of wonders, really. Oh. Yeah, mm. so... No, like, say it Dutch again. That was... En wereld vol wonderen. Very nice. <laughs> Sven likes that, too, because Sven speaks Dutch. You guys okay. talk so good. Y'all, yeah, y'all got pretty voices. Tongues, though, so, like, <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, the Efteling, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and where is it located? In, in, uh, in Kaatsheuvel, Noord-Brabant. Kaatsheuvel. That's what you used to scoop the litter box with. Yeah. <laughs> the cat shovel. You're like underselling the park for talking about cat shit. This is like, this, this park, park is, is, is far from cat shit. This is the shit. This park is the shit. The shit. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I feel like being an Efteling is like, it's just like the one of the few parks in the world where I just completely feel like I'm somewhere else. It's not just I'm a place. It's a state of mind. It really is, mm-hmm. though. And, like, they have this really um, strong sort of, like, unique theme slash atmosphere that just carries over no matter where in the park it's you like are. Disney level. 
but the whole park is that mood. It's a little bit like, it, like we wanted to give Efteling an, a, an atmosphere award, kind of like how we wanted to give China Dinosaurs Park like an overall theme award. Mm-hmm. But they felt really different in the sense where like Efteling is super committed, but it has a feel to it that is so strong and so dedicated and so it's elegant and substantial I had a hard way time other finding a correct not. word for it. Like, it is sort of fantasy, which I guess it is fantasy, but it's also very appropriately Dutch. There's a lot of Dutch classic themes. There's like not really a lot of subsections. Stuff. Like, there's minor subsectioning, but it's really yeah. one The subsection talks more mood. about, like... The intensity level of attractions, like there's, there's a like individual, like, like, there's individual the, rides that you know, kind of take you to a different place. Like mm-hmm. Fatimahana takes place in a different location than like where other rides in the park canonically take place per <laughs> their theme, or, or like Vogel Rock. Um, but I think it's the like bringing to life of folklore, mm-hmm. which I guess is a good good yeah. place to start. It is um, yeah. that really brings folklore Efteling. and fairy Efteling. tales. Obviously, Efteling that's like the is core. A cottage core wonderland. Oh yeah, I mean, again, the park started first before it became uh, anything. It was it was a place you just walk around, and then it became the fairy tale forest, which is probably its big claim mm-hmm. to fame. It's still one of the world's biggest fairy tale forests, and it is spectacular. It's it's. Mm-hmm. It, it's just like have, an experience. They've got to have some kind of record there. for most number of carousels in a pay one. Right, they have like five, <laughs> like five carousels. I think only Vienna Prater could hope to mm-hmm. have more, and it's because it's different vendors with different carousels. But and then but they have it... a really strong collection of dark rides, which mm-hmm. um, all tell a really do a really good job telling a story, mm-hmm. um, including Tromflucht. Well, maybe not all of them, but <laughs> but well, which one? Wait, which Carnival one like? Festival is. Mm, Carnival Festival is amazing, and as someone who is a huge fan of It's a Small World, I exactly even, that's why you find it amazing. I could see past the emulation, the the imitation is the best form of flattery. I mean, that park has so many like super dark and mystical themes that like you need to have something that's jolly because Fatima Khan mm-hmm. is not jolly. I feel like I'm literally like scared on that ride. Carnival <laughs> Festival is such a heartwarming experience. And Flickle the Hollander is a pretty intense theme. Like out in the open sea with like your Fogel Rock is intense too. You're getting kidnapped oh, by yeah. a carnivorous bird. <laughs> yeah, and then like Baron is like, you know, the Vita Viva, the, yeah. the ghosts from whatever uh, Baron's you know, like the, the ghosts shaft. trying to kill you, like aren't they taking yeah, you with their like prisoners? <laughs> they're trying to cursed. stop you. Yeah. But no, what you, you said, Sean, is the fairytale forest is the heart of the Efteling, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. took that strength and they used it for the whole park, and yeah. that's I think was a smart choice not not to have different themed areas, themed but to areas. have the whole theme and connect the different rides with each other. Even though every ride has its own story has to own tell, story. and storytelling yeah. is all about the 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 core of. Efteling, I think. I guess that's another thing that really sets this park apart from like China Dinosaurs Land. Is China Dinosaurs Land is all about aesthetic, and there's not really a lot of storytelling. Like mm-hmm. it's not really about that. It's about mm-hmm. having a neat theme where you have, you know, production model rides and. But cool just on the global stuff. skill, the storytelling is very, very strong at Efteling. Um, so strong even that that became an overarching atmosphere. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like you knew there was always there was always something being told. There was always mm-hmm. a story being told, and then. Mm-hmm. And that really played into like the atmosphere. Like you know that no matter where you go on Efteling, there is something happening. Hmm. And there's very few parks out there that do it, do that. And when they do, it's usually like very, you know, separated themed areas. Yeah, I mean and Disney parks do, do a great job with compartment compartmentalizing different themes that may not even be related at all. I mean, none of mm-hmm. the castle parks can really claim to have 
a single overarching theme, except that it's, you know, like I said, kind of fantasy projections, certainly rose tinted looks at the past, <laughs> things mm-hmm. like colonialism <laughs> in the in Adventureland and Frontierland mm. or, you know, a, a, a rose tinted look at the future and, you know, the whole Jetsons well, yeah, flying cars and real. stuff. Efteling. Yeah. Efteling. Again, yeah. the, the, the not only basically the whole park is a expanded fairy tale forest, as in it is a forest. Because there mm-hmm. is this one road where you go from Fata Morgana to uh, to uh, Joris and the Drac. It's just a road. There's nothing there mm-hmm. except you almost think you're in a local park or somewhere with a lot of trees. And, and you can just walk around. And yes, you see Baron, of course, almost dropping down. You hear the screams from the Rapid River. But I like how you can just walk there, take a breath. And then go back into the action. My favorite midway. When you walk from Vogelrock um, back to Piton. Yes, that's my favorite. That walkway, like we have the water with the gondolas, whatever you call those things. Mm -hmm. And then the little car ride. And Half Moon. And you see, um, you know, the The little train ride and the flying pagoda. Yeah. It is like, it is just different. That might be my favorite, single favorite. Here's a category for next year. Best single midway of any park. (laughs) (laughs) The midway midway segment. From mm-hmm. Python to Vogel Rock is like my favorite segment of Midway. I describing Efteling. It's just like, I guess once you, once you know, you know. And I feel like everyone that's been there. Yeah, if you go, paper, you know. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to Efteling. I'm going to Wallet Mahal. And I'm like, you're gonna stop, I'm going to stop you there right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you are going to go and drop mm-hmm. your idea of credits. And you're just going to walk into Efteling. And you're going to mm-hmm. just be transformed, you know. Yeah. It's but you need to be open for it, though. Because I yeah. do feel that, like, the fairy tale forest... It, I don't know how you experience it, Alex, but I think it helps if you understand the stories um, that are told. For me, um, my first visit to Efteling, I was just open arms, enjoying such a sophisticated approach to something that's fantasy because you don't get sophistication and fantasy at the same time in America. Mm-hmm. Fantasy in America... I mean, no, no... No knocks on Disney or anything, but fantasy stuff in America is usually uh, a bit more zany and animated, um, a little bit more garish. Even. Definitely, not, mm-hmm. definitely not as rustic um, and naturalistic. But it's it not, there. there's mm-hmm. not, the idea of something being fanciful and also being gorgeous is not really an American concept. Um, so being at Efteling kind of feels like everything that's great about being in an, a European theme park. Mm-hmm. Everything that you want from a theme park experience that you can't get in America um, is is encapsulized in mm-hmm. uh, the Efteling. Some of the, the fairy tales made sense to me. I mean, like the Emperor's New Clothes and stuff. Like that's mm. some yeah. of those are that's classic. That's one thing that Efteling, as they grow as an international destination, struggles with a bit. And even from you know coming in as living in the U.S. now and coming back with you. Um, I can understand those stories because they're all told in Dutch, right? And you mm-hmm. have uh, Via Volta. They tell that, that story yeah. mm-hmm. in Dutch. And it's a really intricate story. Like, you really have to kind of know what's going on. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, the pre-show takes forever. And then even, you know, with... They have English subtitles, I know, for Baron, um, which is useful. But even that's a very intricate Dutch story. And that happens a lot. And, and then we went to the Fairy Tale Forest last time, and every single story that we watched, it was all in Dutch. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so this is the one problem with Efteling being so deeply rooted in Dutch Culture. folklore and, like, fairy tale folklore that, like, international travelers are gonna not understand half the stories that are literally being, being vocalized by the Dutch for the Dutch. 
Mm-hmm. They have to realize that it's an actually an international destination. I mean, when which when, it wasn't when and now it is. when Kylie Jenner is like gassing it yeah, up on Kylie Instagram, talking about mm-hmm. how it's better than Disneyland, then like the world's gonna take notice, mm-hmm. and people who don't speak Dutch are gonna go and want to. Uh, but at the same time, every bit of we go to Shanghai Disney, and everything yes, is, in, is everything Mandarin, is in Mandarin, and, and, and mystical, and we love that. that. And I think that that kind of works the same. Like you know, when you mm-hmm. go to Efteling as a person who doesn't speak yeah. Dutch, I'm sure it all sounds very the mystical Dutch dialogue and, for you know, the audio animatronics. I mean, the first time I went, obviously I didn't have a guide, I didn't have a Dutch guide. I got a hmm. great satisfaction out of hearing the dialogue in Dutch from these audio animatronics and thinking, like, I wonder what they're saying. Like <laughs> you can gather it based on context, but. Um, like, it's not so hard to tell a story without words. Dreamflight does that beautifully. Oh, Dreamflight mm-hmm. was their first international attraction. It was mm-hmm. to fight Disneyland Paris, and yeah. they were like, we're going to have to also draw on people from other countries. Yeah. And I think that is the best example in the world of a dark ride that just tells its own story, yeah. and it's its own thing, and it doesn't require a single vocalization. Storytelling without word words. On that ride. It's all just visual. It's pure magic. Amazing. And I, oh, I think Dreamflight is, is like, everything that's great about Efteling lives in dream flight because it mm-hmm. is a feeling it you, is a feeling you, you, the, it, what it you is, feel to ex- yeah to exist in the atmospheric yeah component of of dream flight without having to be spoon fed or told or explained what's happening you just go and you just wallow in it you marinate and bask in <laughs> the feeling in the mood uh, of that ride and that's Efteling in a nutshell right there yeah, that's why it it's best park mm-hmm. atmosphere Without I'm a shadow of a doubt, American mind. said that. So at least I know that us Dutch speakers on that podcast. Um, you know. Do you oh, know? Do you know what okay, they are getting fine. next year? What are they getting next year, son? They are getting a playground, but uh, called Nest. Nest. And, yeah, and um, the playground will be centered about around that. It's very accessible for all. Types of children. Oh. oh, okay. I love that. I was going to say, is it Nest, the Transformers headquarters? Yes, it is. That was the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> and next to like, that, wait. I also saw, I think <laughs> it was announced recently, that they're getting a bakery next to Max and Moritz, the coaster. Oh, nice. So I mean, not, very, not big additions for next year. I hope they have cookies year. in the shape of fart cushions. I'm sure they would. I want a Max and Moritz fart cookie. <laughs> decided. <laughs> 2021 looks to be promising year period, especially for other attractions mm-hmm. uh, around the world. There are some really big coasters coming. It's, um, I mean, just just south of the border of Efteling, just a few moments away. Um, what what do we got going on in in, in Belgium? Yeah, well, what so we got going obviously, on I think we all know. <laughs> like, all like, of it. like what what possessed all, all of the goings on? <laughs> like, 2021 obviously will have a lot of coasters that were postponed from 2020. But there is also mm-hmm. those that were really planned for 2021. And uh, yeah, for me in Europe, that it's finally, yeah. finally, finally the year of Belgium. Because <laughs> we had, um, obviously, Fury was a great addition that we got. But this is, you see in the Netherlands, them getting the RMC, the two B&Ms. And Belgium was still there with the smaller coasters. Um, next year, well, Belgium I, doesn't I, have a B and M yet. Say that really? again. No, they don't. Does, Belgium doesn't have a B and M yet. I was no, wondering. No. I wonder which park. And will do I, that I'm first. I'm wondering if it will ever get one. There was once a rumor that Plopsaland would get the a B and M same style as Hollywood Dream, 
Oh, uh, yes. What? So I need yeah. B&M family coasters <laughs> in all of these parks. But, uh, yeah, that is something. They have a trend of copying a lot of rides to all the parks. That is something they can do. <laughs> um, but, no, they, they chose to go for something unique. And, and uh, we, very thrilling and terrifying. Yeah, and uh, I went there last weekend. Um, Your so pictures were awesome. Beginning by of the December, way. Uh, where I took some pictures of the construction going on, and already from the highway you could see it, and uh, that was yeah the kind of excitement like a little child has before going to a park, even though it's not open. Uh, mm-hmm. That was exactly what happened, and it looks so weird seeing it there like mm-hmm. it's, well, i was saying like the biggest coast they have right now is anubis and then they're building this crazy big mm-hmm. mech coast it's gonna stick out like i forgot well, that I knew uh, this existed so i was imagining this park being all kitty coasters and then the max spinner extreme spinner with the launches and loops and stuff i'm like wow that's quite a jump but then i remembered that they have a launched Eurofighter, which is uh, a, a nice step uh, in between but honestly i don't think time traveler will be a lot higher than anubis though so oh, it has they, they kind of, my final picture was them on the same picture and they, they compete yeah. quite nicely. Um, I guess that's true because Anubis has like that classic top hat shape. Which opens yeah, the and door. I it's love like, that well, top hat. The next yeah. coaster has a top hat that's like this weird shaped mm-hmm. quarter turn yeah, top hat. Turn thing, yeah. That's like so fun. It's an opportunity to do something really different since they already had a launch coaster with a normal top hat. Let's mm-hmm. do something totally crazy. Yeah. That's going to be one of the best coasters. Like, if in the I world look at RCDB, um, Anubis is stated as 34 meters, and mm-hmm. the new spinning is That's stated as 33 meters. So, Anubis would actually be higher. Is actually taller. Yeah. But that top oh, wow. hat is amazing. But so, yeah, yeah, obviously, there's the extreme spinning coaster, and it has its unique elements. It's the first mm-hmm. ex- uh, of its type in Europe. So, really. Uh, a good job for Plopsaland for choosing I that I really one. didn't think I would care for Time Traveler at Silver Dollar City, mm-hmm. and then we wrote it, and I'm like, actually, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And in, in a way, it makes other launch coasters seem inadequate the way that it, it does what it does and mm-hmm. puts your body through a lot more than what I thought you could comfortably handle. Like, I didn't think that mm-hmm. launching sideways and, and going through some of these forces facing at whichever way you happen to be facing. Like, I, I, didn't, I never imagined it being so fun and pleasant and mm-hmm. enjoyable, but you just want to ride it over and over again and see how exactly. many ways you can feel. Yeah. You want to see how many ways you can feel these forces. You want to be facing all directions every mm-hmm. time you do that top hat or the loop or the launch or the barrel roll. Um, the rewritability is mm-hmm. infinite. But obviously, the reason why they build it is because a bit further down near Brussels, Wallaby decided to put like <laughs> this mega coaster, intimate mega coaster. Wallaby, and, Belgium, yeah. showing up to the hypercoaster party fashionably late, but taking yeah. all of the attention. <laughs> Very fashionably late. <laughs> yeah, because when Six Flags took over, it was Wallaby Holland that got the Goliath, and the, the intimate. Stuff, yeah. The and coaster capital of Europe. <laughs> Remember those six flags? Oh yeah, <laughs> so but now it's uh, the other way around. Now it's Belgium that's getting to grow, and the original Wallaby on on top of that mm-hmm. that finally gets the flagship eye-catcher coaster. They finally decided they had enough like kitty coasters and stuff, and they're like, okay, 
Well, their focus is definitely family. Well, the problem with the Netli- with Wild Holland's always been that Seacrest came in and didn't realize for some magically stupid reason because they really suck at demographic research that to this day that hasn't changed. That people don't have cars necessarily in Netherlands, and so they couldn't staff the park properly. And then people just can't get to the park easily if they don't have a car. You have to take mm-hmm. like a bus from Hardewijk, and it just takes too much time. Like it's not really worth it. That was never an issue for Walibi Belgium because it has its own train, train station. station right? yeah. yeah, there you go. And so that's, uh, that's it's get, it's getting that flow. It's also very close to the highway. So also by car, it's it's easy to reach. Um, but yeah, so it will be interesting to see those two compete with each other and see what people will find the best of the two. So I really, really hope that you guys can come over That's and that be I like can an show you around. Choice. I yeah, bet we'll, be we'll so go to, to it'll be our first Belgium time riding coasters <laughs> in Belgium and we'll leave with like two new coasters in our top 10 steel. Without a <laughs> Let's shot hope so. Let's mind. hope so. Based on, um, I, right, I can I mean, only even, assume that they'll be spectacular in best case scenario based on the stuff that we've mm-hmm. already written. I mean, you're saying top ten stuff, even on the home front. I mean, we're we're lucky to live in Central Florida where we having we're seeing our own coaster boom within the same kind of space. Mm-hmm. We have Flossy Coaster opening next year, which you know we just released testing footage of it, so go to check it out on thecoasterkings.com. But we also have Icebreaker, which I'm personally mad about, but I think a lot of people In any case, I mean, excited. we're seeing a Central Florida coaster arms race, the likes of mm-hmm. which we've not seen since the late 90s yeah. when Islands of Adventure opened. And that was a whole new park. We're not even getting a new... We don't have a new gate in Florida, but you we would never know based on the influx of coasters. We're it's kind of like postponed. We're e-ticket coasters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's coming. But that'll be its own... When Epic Universe does decide to... Uh, grace us with its presence that'll be its own mm-hmm. seismic shift in the central florida market with its for See, the first totally for, new collection minute, of coasters and, in you know, the industry has time. really waved back and forth a lot and for a moment we were really like on the on the dark ride train like everything needs to be a cool experience and we have now swung back over to yeah, the side the pendulum like, has swung back like, to coasters yeah hot thing. you know like, what you want to have coasters sean and alex decided to go and live in florida <laughs> and guess florida. what guess what happened guess, yeah well, actually, became they, Coaster Disney announced Tron, Tron, and we moved. We're like, okay, it's time to move to Florida. What <laughs> happened? Tron. COVID. Yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> Although happened. Tron is probably 22, right? Yeah, we're starting to hear, well, like, mixed sure. ideas, because Tron was always planned for fall, so they have a little more time to catch up. I think they still want to have it. I think I wouldn't be shocked if So they I think were... it depends on what they're going to end up doing with their capacity. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be able to have enough people like attend like the rush the first mm-hmm. couple of months then i think they're going to try and open it as early as possible i think they might still try to get it open on october 1st 2021 that is well the 50th i think the priority is still for cosmic rewind though because epcot needs Actually, it more I think, well uh, epcot's anniversary is until epcot's own 40th anniversary right? is the following mm-hmm. year so they could because they're opening i um, mean 21 they already confirmed they're the getting ratatouille. ratatouille so they could push mm-hmm. Rewind um, till October first, twenty twenty two. Yeah, or just sometimes twenty twenty two as the yeah. anniversary gift for the Epcot anniversary. Well, I l- I've listened to the Disney Dish, and they think they are putting all their horses on Cosmic Rewind because apparently I mean, they are filming um, uh, Thor, the new Thor movie in Australia at the moment. And it includes a lot of the actors of Guardians of the Galaxy. So mm-hmm. what they'll try to do is, as they are in costume there, 
is to film the footage for the Cosmic Rewind coaster as well, so that oh, it's ready really to cool. open the coaster. So that, that's well, what I heard and, there. So and Galaxy uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy track work is complete, and well, with Strong yeah, they're further complete. ahead. Mm-hmm. But uh, exactly. the trains are on site, and so they are already ready to start Guardians testing. Guardians was supposed needed. to it's open testing. six months before Tron. Yeah, so there's always that. But I mean, from like a marketability standpoint, given that mm-hmm. Epcot already has a new ride opening in 21 confirmed. And it's not their anniversary in 21, as it is Magic Kingdom's anniversary. I can imagine Disney putting all their own um, working and labor capacity mm-hmm. on the Tron project. I mean, you can only do so much to get more people to go to Epcot. I mean, everyone already goes. Well, it mm-hmm. makes more sense to me to do two rides over the course of two years, mm-hmm. including yeah. your biggest ride in the history of the park. Because, yeah, because Ratatouille was supposed to already be open and be, mm-hmm. like, a 2019 attraction. So mm-hmm. it was going to yeah. Ratatouille? I thought yeah, it was. Oh, it was, oh yeah, yeah, it was supposed to open in March, and then Guardians was supposed to open like twelve months later. Mm-hmm. So I would just as soon assume that like that twelve month gap between Ratatouille and Guardians will remain intact, and just will be dictated by whenever mm-hmm. Ratatouille opens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, there's just a lot of excitement. That's just my and then there's year. yeah. So that was Orlando, and then there's Tampa with Iron yeah. Guazis too, yeah. as well. Iron Guazi. Um, and all the other sealed parks like Pantheon and Emperor. It's and the first time that all five marquee SeaWorld parks built a coaster the same year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's I guess only uncanny. one actually. What a opened, year. But yeah. yeah. But they did build them this but year. They sure <laughs> did build all of them this year. So, yeah, great, then, exciting. Yeah, and to round parks. up Europe from my side, I think uh, another one that was planned for 21 was Monster at um, Gronalund. And it's been four years almost since we had a new B&M coaster. So I, I'm, I'm kind of excited for that because B&M is, has that. gotten a bit in the shadow of RMC the last few years. But I th- it's still... And Intamin. <laughs> and Intamin, yes. Yeah. But it's still, it's still real. Like, do we know what the trains look like for Monster? Because I have this no. weird suspicion that the trains are going to look a lot different than what we've already seen. I think they're going to be just the old school for us, just because it's... Because a, a lot of people saying because of the clearances, it'll be, like, you know, traditional. But they haven't done trains like that since Osiris. Yeah, but It would be nice to see, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they did a configuration more like the family inverts, where it's two across. Like, if they did trains just like mm-hmm. the family invert I just at think Shanghai, the, I just think Happy the tight, Valley. The, the turns and inversions are too tight, and then the trains would be too long. Mm-hmm. That's always been a problem with the F- SLCs. I don't think... Being able to make that mistake with having really long trains on small elements. Yeah. So I would, I think I would. But then we also don't know what kind of capacity they're going to try to squeeze out of this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Gronelon doesn't have that high of attendance. Mm-hmm. I, 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 could, I wouldn't, if this ride had the same capacity as the inverted trip drill, I wouldn't be shocked. Or even less. If it was like a 16 mm-hmm. passenger train for this invert, that's perfectly adequate capacity mm-hmm. for a park that has an Intamin Zaxbin and a wild mouse is, is some of their like mm-hmm. marquee coasters or a family invert that only has one train, mm-hmm. you know, in my head, I guess always associate the cost of investment with the capacity. capacity put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to spend that much money on such a crazy mm-hmm. ride, you also want it to have good capacity. <laughs> and then there's Vacoma, which is like, yeah. we'll build you a $30 million motorcycle coaster that has 14 people per dispatch. <laughs> Enjoy. But speaking of Pecoma, that's the the fourth one that I wanted to point out is uh, Energylandia with Abyssus, and, <laughs> and the second is it pronounced Abyssus or Abyssus? 
I don't know. <laughs> I thought, we'll Abacus see. reminds me of like the mathematician little slidey rule thing, an abacus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. That would be kind of a fun theme for a ride. But so, um, yeah, so you have that one. You have the family boomerang. You have the mine train. Apparently, they started on the construction of that mm-hmm. one, too. So, and there's a lot of people saying, people, people have been hearing from employees of the park that, there's a, that the tilt coaster is still happening. Mm-hmm. I even heard someone say that a ride operator told them that they have parts on site. For the, I for mean, it's point I wouldn't even be surprised. Oh, yeah. You couldn't mm-hmm. su- nothing that that park does will ever surprise me at this point. Mm-hmm. Certainly with their, their love affair mm-hmm. with Vacoma, I expect them to have just ordered mm-hmm. the entire catalog. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe in a couple of years, I mean, have yeah, another they have, flying coaster. They literally have like three family coasters, like the the the, the kitty coaster product line, whatever the old roller skater used to be. They have like three of those. This like, is already one of the only of parks in the world that has like a next generation Vacoma launch coaster, and now they're building a bigger one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The park has like all the stuff. Um, and then, yeah, so, oh, sorry. Yeah, ahead, sorry. So. No, and uh, to highlight also something in Asia, I think there is a course this super nintendo world that yes. will be so cool yeah. so cool i can't wait to hear and understand the details of the mario kart mm-hmm. ride because i have very high hopes i'm just excited that they're just far along already in hollywood and so that we can see it within the yeah. next couple of years in hollywood as well it's yeah. gonna be really cool having that mm-hmm. um in the u.s and i think it's gonna help with not overcrowding the japan park which mm-hmm. is already pretty crowded to begin with mm-hmm um, and with that, we're going to um, end this last episode of this season, season two, yeah. 2020, um, the Coaster Kings radio podcast series. We're going to launch season three really soon already. Um, mm-hmm. Season three is going to have shorter episodes. I we already you guys. have collabs that are in the works for season three. Um, we also have a bit of a new structure we're going to try out. People. You know, to make sure everyone feels like they can listen to our podcast and not, um, <laughs> not fall asleep. You know, fall asleep. Or have <laughs> just like two long episodes. Like we we get it, guys. We're sorry. We just kind of start talking. And we use. I just. End. I don't know. I don't mind listening to a two-hour podcast. But, but I will say that it doesn't really feels necessarily apply to everyone. Okay. Um, but yeah. So before I uh, say the official goodbye with a wave of a hand, I'm gonna plug a couple things, mm-hmm. like I usually do. So today we're going to uh, plug our new Philosophy Coaster and Time Traveler updates. So go to thecoasterkings.com. I know this comes out a couple days late, but um, still go back and check it out. These are awesome articles, updates, testing footage, construction. And then, of course, we have a whole two seasons of Coaster Kings Radio with awesome collaborations, really great topics. So make sure you check out some of our past episodes if you're, you know, if you're new. And if you want to read into the Crystal Crown Awards in further detail, we have the full ranking online as uh, the same day as this, as this podcast launches. Yeah, if you're, like, going to start telling your friends, like, Coaster Kings ranked this park as the best, blah, 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 and, like, I can't believe their logic, you'll so have you a paper a version with little graphs about <laughs> our explanation. You don't have to make them listen to the whole podcast, although we wouldn't mind. Um, <laughs> but you don't have to uh, make people listen to the podcast uh, for you to explain uh, vicariously through us how we came to some of these conclusions for our awards because mm-hmm. they will be written down in a nice little article. That and you also, like, don't have to be swag. If you want to be swag, we have a merch we'll line as swag. well. So you can be like... Of course. Purchase swag. You can purchase swag. You if you want to look have, swaggy, you have swagger. To have swag by <laughs> you purchasing swag. swag. You don't have to have swag. If you want to have swag, we got swag. Yeah, I feel like swag you. is a noun. Not like it's, it's something that you 
Or no, I guess it's an adjective. <laughs> swag whole... is an adjective, not okay, a Okay, so the noun. whole point is you can be your half swag you to be... your disposal <laughs> on the Kozakins.com slash shop. Know we got swagger. And you can buy a cool bunch of cool merch that um, we'll a lot of our stuff will disappear at the end of this year. Like so Mick Jagger. shop till you drop. <laughs> in the U.S. or in Europe, because also the uh, European yeah. site yeah, the Europe has, is live too, so that the you don't European have to pay import fees or anything. Yep. Yep. And you, you don't have to way. wait a month to, <laughs> for your stuff. To Sorry, show. Timo. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Shout Timo. out to Timo. Uh, his, we should dedicate the European shop to Timo because it wouldn't exist without him. A little, little Timo head in the header. A little Timo. <laughs> Timo head. <laughs> Timo, you better listen to this episode. Yeah. Okay. And uh, with that, we're going to end the year. You're ending yeah. the year. Y'all have a good one. We'll see you in 2021. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. luck. I mean, it, can, it can only go, go up from here, right? Right. It can't go any, can't possibly can't get any worse. worse. Um, I'm scared. Yeah, I'm like assuming even like our, 21 the American we, transition of power goes accordingly. Here in Belgium, it's a bubble celebration. So at Christmas, it's only our own families that will be here. So we're very mm-hmm. limited. But I really hope that 2021 can bring you all the joy and all the new theme park rides and all the old theme park rides back into mm-hmm. your life in a more normal state. Yeah. From Let's best pavement to most vintage, yeah. 2021 hopefully has it all for you, for me. Try looping. And that. <laughs> Stay right, healthy, goodbye. guys. <laughs> Stay incredibly healthy. Get the vaccine if you feel like getting it. Uh, and wear the, the mask. Vaccine, even if you don't feel like getting it. Wear the mask. Wear the mask. And, um, yeah, if you launch fireworks this year, don't burn off your hand. This applies don't most to Dutch thing. people. And, no, uh, they can't. They're not allowed. I'm a pro- oh, no right. they were, like, pretty rough. Americans are much more in danger, I think. Of mm-hmm. This is literally the most chaotic ending there. of any episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say bye. That's just yeah, a summary of, of season two. Year. Yeah, this is literally season two in like yeah. two minutes. Okay, bye. 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 bye.